first rule in grip sport is you tell everyone about grip sport. You know, crushing, pinch grip, thick bar, wrists. If the best guy in the world can't lift 100 pounds on it, I, I don't give a shit about it. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Grip Show. With me today, I have longtime grip uh, grip sport competitor, um, longtime just grip strength athlete, and there's a lot more aspects we're going to cover with him, but a super familiar face um, to anybody that's been involved with grip or trained grip, whatever the case may be. Um, you almost can't talk about, you know, grip sport international or grip training, grip competitions, and not come across the name Jed Johnson. Like I said, this is uh very similar to the Adam glass episode. I said, there was two people that inspired me the most. Um, I came across their videos and they're pretty much the reason that I got into this sport. Adam is one of those guys. And here I'm with the other one, Jed Johnson. So welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me. I'm honored. I appreciate the introduction and I'm very proud of you for what you're doing. Uh, with this podcast. I think it's turning out awesome. I've watched every single one of them and I hope you continue to do it until you're just sick and tired of doing it. It's, uh, it's been really good. I, I, I look forward to it every week to, to see the episodes and they're, it's very enjoyable. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's something I would love to be able to do, but I just do not have the time. And quite frankly, you're doing a better job than I would do. So the right person's doing it. <laughs> okay. Well, that means a lot coming from you. And uh, yeah, uh, I appreciate you kind of doing the little short recaps you do. Cause every now and then when, you know, to follow up an episode, when it's released, you'll kind of lead people this way, put the link in the description and let them know like, Hey, you know, here's one or two little things from this episode. You need to go check this out. So I, I appreciate you doing that as well, because that that's led a few people, you know, to subscribe and, uh, kind of steer them this way as well. Um, Great, buddy. So I'm going to dive right in, man. Um, obviously, everybody knows your name for the most part. Now, there might be some new crossover viewers that we get and whatever, but in, in the grip world, you don't really need an introduction. So if I just drop straight down into your hobbies, now mm-hmm. I have a question because you say under hobbies, you say pro wrestling. Now, yes. I don't think that you're secretly pro wrestling somewhere, so I'm guessing you mean that you're more of a fan of it than actually doing it currently. I, no, I have never done it. I went to a school <laughs> okay. in 2015, and I I was able to sit in. I, I met with the, the head instructor. I was able to sit in through part of the, the workout session that they were doing. It was so eye-opening, dude. I loved it so much. And I sat down with the guy, and I asked him, you know, I asked for specifics. So basically, it was going to be $200 a month to train. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, how long would it take for me to make my money back? He's like, oh no, you'll, you'll never make your money back. <laughs> so this was 2015. So it's eight years ago and I'm just about 45. So I was probably 36, 37 at the time, depending on what time of the year I went. And um, shortly after that, I got my sinuses scraped because the year before, I had countless sinus infections. I think I went and got seven prescriptions for medicine that year. Uh, so I had to do something about it. I ended up getting my sinuses scraped. The doctor said that my sinuses were blocked 
with inflammation so bad that it was like the pencil lead, a, a width of a pencil lead through my sinuses. So it was so easy for bacteria to get trapped. So they they scraped out my sinuses. They removed my u they removed my uvula and did some other stuff. And they told me that if you get hit in the nose hard enough for like the next six months or something like that, you will die. So <laughs> I knew that it was going to be a possibility that I would get hit in the nose in that school. And because of that risk, I didn't want to die as much as I, you know, I wanted to be a wrestler, but I also wanted to continue to live. And, you know, I have my daughter and stuff. So I didn't end up going into the school. Now, what I did not know is that school had been there for 20 years. It's only, it's in Scranton. It's only an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes away. Had I found out in in 2001 when I graduated high school that there was a wrestling school that close, I definitely would have joined that school. Um, As it turns out, within a few days of getting that surgery, my daughter punched me right in the nose and somehow I didn't die. So <laughs> I, I got lucky, but yeah. yeah, the, it was, it was the, the level of choreography, I'll call it that takes place in a wrestling match. I had absolutely no idea. Like the, the foot positioning, the arms that you work on, things like that were, are so integral to the chain moves that take place in a wrestling match. I, and I had no idea. I knew the concept of working the left. So if you're going to put a move on somebody, generally you do it on their left arm. And that's because back in the day when all this stuff started, pro wrestlers had jobs during the day and all assembly lines were set up for right-handed people for the most part. Okay. So you didn't want to work the right arm of somebody because you might end up taking them out of, out of work. So yeah. It, it was just crazy, man. It was it was very eye opening. I I gained a lot of respect for pro wrestlers just by going to that one class, and they actually offered me. See, I was at six two. I was several inches taller than just about everybody that was in that class, and they they did offer me to go down on a on the one of the following weekends to like follow a dude down the ring and be like a bodyguard and not do anything. But I, I passed it up. I could have had my one match and I could have okay. been, I could have made the claim that I was a professional wrestler, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't think it would be right. So I, so I didn't do it, but it was close. Okay. So, uh, with that being said, though, I know you are a pro wrestling fan. Now yes. I used to watch wrestling when I was younger. I haven't watched it in many years. So I'm not as in tune with that scene. But if we're talking yeah. a little more old school, Favorite pro wrestler of all time. Who you got? Undertaker. Undertaker. Okay. Undertaker. Absolutely. I, I started when I, when I, I figured out how to use a VCR in like 1992. So I would tape, I would set them to record at nine o'clock for Monday Night Raw. I missed the era of primetime wrestling for WWF. I was hardcore WWF fan. Uh, and I always, I always watched every chance I got when I was home on the weekends and I figured out how to use the VCR. I began taping shows and I, I amassed this tremendous collection of shows. And what I did later on 
was I isolated the matches and the promos that I liked and put them on other tapes. But I started doing this because I didn't want to miss any Undertaker stuff. And um, aside from that, you know, I think everybody my age was a Hulkamaniac growing up. So Hulk Hogan was huge. Ultimate Warrior is basically the wrestler that put the spirit in me to lift weights. Mm-hmm. Like between him and Hogan, I, I would get down on the floor and do push-ups and things like that. And that was like my motivation to do chin-ups in the basement and and things along those lines. So that really has a has a big has had a big effect on why I actually lift weights. And I yeah. I played two years of college baseball, and I, I had very severe injuries. I could not throw the ball anymore safely, and I ended up quitting. And I started training hard to be a pro wrestler. I wanted to be as big and cut and jacked as possible. And the idea was to become a pro wrestler. I grew my hair out. It got so long and and ragged that um, it basically caused issues in the relationship I was in at the time. And I was like, well, I got to grow my hair out for pro wrestling. So you're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, so, yeah, it, that was it was a huge part of my life. I, I still watch the pay-per-views to this day, but I don't catch the, the weekly shows like I used to. Yeah. But, you know, from – for the most part, from 93 to 2022, I watched all the Monday Night Raws every single week, except for during times when I was extremely busy in college and um, a small window of time where I didn't have cable uh, after after college. So, yeah. yeah. I have a tremendous so- collection of videotapes. I've since digitized all of them onto discs. I got the converter. Yeah. So, I mean – I'm I'm pretty good. I've thought about starting like a wrestling podcast too. But to do that, you have to like talk about the inner workings of the business and be really really critical of the decisions that are made. And I don't like it when pro wrestling fans do that, so I've never I've never done that. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, I like um, I like to pretend that it's real a little bit and um I don't try to guess stuff. I don't try to cut the decisions up. I just try to watch it and like take it in like the major league baseball season. Yeah. Um, now for me, like I said, different, slightly different age range. Um, I can remember. Oh, you call me old? You call me old? You son of a bitch. Not, not, not old, like, but slightly older than I me. I take everything back and I'm starting my podcast back up tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, man, I remember, I remember being, uh, when I was watching it, like, uh, NWO was huge. Mm-hmm. So if I had to pick, like I said, I haven't watched it for years and since I was probably really little, but uh, I always liked watching Hall and Nash. So mm-hmm. like NWO, the Wolfpack kind of thing. Yep. That oh, like yeah. when I was when I was little, that was like the biggest thing ever. And Dude, like uh, <laughs> there were so many NWO shirts and Stone Cold Steve Austin shirts at college. Everybody had those things. Even even girls that didn't watch it, they would go and buy a shirt from Walmart for 15 bucks and they would wear it. it. Everybody was a fan. I remember baseball practices at college where, so I was a pitcher. So we would go for a run. We had to do sprints every workout. We had to throw a bullpen or long toss every workout. And we had to do a distance run every workout. So one of the first practices, 
the seniors are going over here. So I start following the seniors. I figure they're the best players on the team. I'll do what they're doing, right? They're probably, they probably have the most intense workout. Shit. We go down into town and we go behind these trees and we start having wrestling matches. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I, dude, I love this stuff. Like these guys don't know me. You know what I mean? They, none yeah. of these guys have ever met me. I'm back there. So I go and tie up with this guy, Dan Ebersol, and he proceeds to, he was strong, dude. He proceeds to tie me up, slams me on the ground. I pulled every muscle in my upper back. My neck was all strained. I think I walked around like this the rest of the, the rest of the night. Um, I was like, damn, I thought we were working. I thought we were, I thought this was all work, you know? Yeah. No. Oh, so I, I wasn't about to hurt one of the, senior pitchers I could have ended his career in in seconds but I just I just kept my cool and I I just I I, I let them go over I put them over you gotta, yeah. you gotta earn your dues you know <laughs> so that that I don't know that's just funny that yeah like you're out at baseball practice and then it turns into like something completely different um 100% 100% serious now once you kind of uh got out of uh or, or once you kind of transitioned out of you know, college baseball being a thing mm-hmm. and you were kind of just working on maybe just your strength training. Maybe there was more of a bodybuilding type phase yeah. going yeah, it on. Was, it was like power building. It was, okay. Um, we did bench squat deadlift and then a ton of bodybuilding work. A okay. ton. And and how long from you kind of starting that training about how long was it until you competed in something. I don't even care what it was like, how long had you lifted or done something in that realm before an actual competition took place? Um, so I went to college in 97 and I, I stopped playing after my second year. So 97, 98, 99, 2000. So after 2000 is when I was done playing baseball and I converted over to the pro wrestling prep type training. Mm-hmm. And I actually submitted a video to the first tough enough we put uh we took a camera we put a a red lens cover over it and that's that was the first appearance appearance of napalm jed set my (laughs) hand on fire it was it was outstanding i set a a deadlift pr in the video it was like 20 pounds more than i'd ever done and uh i slammed it down screamed you know then i then it cuts to me setting my hand on fire um so I get out of college in 2001. By that time, I was already training full-time with Jim Smith, the guy that I created Diesel Crew with. Yeah. And we started preparing for our first strongman contest in 2003. Okay. So it was like and, four uh, years, four or five yeah. years. Okay. So um, strongman was pretty much your focus for probably the next couple of years. I would say, right? Well, so I found out. So this was all on the drsquat.com forum. Mm-hmm. Um, most people have probably never been to a forum besides the grip board, I would imagine. But Dr. Squat was like a legitimate strength training forum, had moderators. There weren't just a bunch of trolls there. And there was good quality information. And that's where I met um, CJ Murphy the owner of total performance sports. And it was in Revere, Massachusetts at the time, which is like a suburb of Boston. And he was running the strongman contest, Massachusetts strongest man. And they had a novice division. So we began training for that contest. 
I want to say in like March or April because it was still cold and we went to scrapyards looking for shit, kegs, stuff like that. Because we nobody made stones. You couldn't get stones. The only time you saw Atlas Stones was on a strongman contest on TV. So we did the best we could. We replicated a log press with uh, a trap bar. We replicated Mm -hmm. farmer's handles with a couple of seated row handles for the cable machine. So we did what we could, and but during that prep time, that was also when Rick Walker started posting on the Dr. Squat Forum about his contest, uh, Battle for Grip Supremacy, which the strongman contest was going to be in August, and the grip contest was going to be in September. And the way I looked at it, if I, if I trained grip, then that would help my strongman. Strongman was the main emphasis. That's what I really wanted to be good at. I also had found out at some point about grippers, and I found out about tearing decks of cards and bending steel. So the first feat that I really wanted to train for was tearing a deck of cards, and I bought like uh, a deck for like two fifty at a store that no longer exists anymore. And it took me two weeks to tear that deck of cards. Of course, I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I bought probably one of the toughest types of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what they were, but it was like, a, it wasn't just dollar general cheapo cards, you know? So, and I had no idea what I was doing. My hands were killing me by the time I got it done. Finally, one night in my, I would, I would tear them in the living room. I would start them. I, I would, I would, I would work on them and then I would set them down on a, like a coffee table that was at the house. And then every night or two, I'd go out and start reefing on it a little bit more. No warm-up. Um, and two weeks later, I finally finished the deck of cards. Okay, so now okay, – yeah. keep going, Jed. If, if you want – or I was going to dive into some of these strongman competitions once you actively got into the competition scene. Right. I'm, no, all I'm saying okay. is, like, the prep for the first strongman and the first grip were simultaneous. It was all going on okay. at the same time. And there was okay. steel bending in that grip contest, so we we had to bend, too. Yeah. So I've talked about this in the past. Both my elbows were messed up. I had golfer's elbow and tennis elbow in both arms. And I was eating, I was eating like six ibuprofen to get started. And I would have to take more before the end of the workout because everything was hurting so bad. Yeah. You don't see as much steel bending uh, in today's competitions. I know there are still like competitions designated for steel bending specifically, but that mixture back then, it's kind of like you, I don't know. I guess more things were mixed together back in the earlier yeah. days. And then since then they've kind of split off and kind of got their own. Uh, yeah. Their own I mean, audience. bending sh- short, unbraced bending was in pretty much every contest for years. Mm-hmm. So my first one was Oh three, whatever the last backyard bastard bash that I went to was maybe Oh seven. That was, that had bending in it. I had bending in GGC Global Grip Challenge in 2008. So yeah. um it was in Gripmas for a long time and these were all like staple contests man. These were contests that took place every year. So I think there were three backyard bastard bashes. I couldn't get anybody to go with me to the first one and then around 2005 is when I met John Eaton. He was from Kyler, New York, which is kind of up near Syracuse. And he would come down like once a month and we would train. And um, he was my, my riding partner. He, he would actually drive to all these contests. Mm-hmm. So we went out to uh, Illinois, Pasota, Illinois for 
John Beatty's Backyard Bastard Bash for two years. We went out to Gripmas for two or three years. We went out to um, Three Rivers, Michigan for Bob Lipinski's uh, contest at Don Larkin's gym uh, two different times. So, I, dude, I've spent a lot of time on the road with, with John Eaton. And um, talk about memories, just – just amazing, amazing. And it's, it's like impossible to do now with a, with a family. I'm so glad that I did it before, you know, at the time I didn't want to have children and um, I had two stepkids and I loved them to death. And that's, that was fulfilling for me. And then eventually all my friends started having kids and I was like, man, maybe we should have a kid. And eventually. Mm-hmm. We did. So once yeah. that happened, the traveling really got shut down. And I, if it was, if it, if it was, more than five or six hours to drive, I, I most likely wouldn't go. The only exception was Gritmas and the Arnold Classic, really. Yeah. So this is something I just want the listeners to understand. Um, and, and like I said, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. This is really just a, a single answer on this one. But judging by the looks of your timeline and everything you just said, um, What's the, what, like around what year is like the first grip competition you ever did? Is that like 2003, 2003? 2003. Yep. 2003. Okay. And I believe that was the, that I know it was the first grip contest on the East coast prior to that. Bob Lipinski may have run one in Michigan. I know that before that, um, BC dot Brian Carlton, had run at least one contest in Minnesota in mm-hmm. I believe Minneapolis. And there was a guy and I'm forgetting his name right now, but he ran if you if you if you do research on the inch dumbbell, one of the first guys to pick up the inch dumbbell was a guy named Matt Graham. And he competed at this contest. And I want to, if, if we, if we were to ask Ben Edwards, he could tell us because he continued to go to that contest for a while, but that was, that was way past like the midpoint of the United States. And I, I wasn't yeah. going there. And up until that time, I don't think I had, I, I'd only ever flown twice. And that was for college baseball to go down to Florida for spring training. So to, to fly on my own accord, I was too cheap to mm-hmm. to do that and um so consequently i never i never ended up going out there i want to say it was like omaha or something like that okay I, I really i really don't recall but um that's a shame too because they they did they did a couple contests out there um but back in those days there was no there was no organization it was just like you could run a grip contest choose whatever events that you wanted and those results like would just disappear into the ether. Yeah. Um, there was no tracking. The rules were all different. You, you could basically say whatever you yeah. wanted to were the rules. And like, for instance, Rick Walker, um, all the lifts were done to six inches, which is what we do now. But mm-hmm. like the two hand pinch was two forty fives with a pipe through it. Um, yeah. There was a thick bar handle with weights added to it. And what they did to judge things, Rick would lay down on the floor or ground. We did it outside on concrete. Rick would lay down on his side with a yardstick like this, and he would judge if it made six inches or not. Yeah. So it was it was it was really different back then. Well, and and the biggest point I wanted to make with that was I think there's 
been a little bit of an influx of newer lifters that have kind of ventured into, you know, competing in grip strength sports and stuff like that. And I think a lot of these people are under the impression that this is a, uh, a new thing or that it's only recently been started within the last, you know, four or five years or something. But like you're saying your first competition and your first exposure to this stuff was 2003. We're talking two decades. So there were grip competitions being held in the United States for probably 20 to 20 plus years. So I just want to, I just want the listeners, you know, the people that are competing to understand like, how much history and tradition or how much evolution the sport has actually had from those, those kind of days where you're doing that stuff to where we're at now. That's right. And if anybody wants to learn more about the old history of, of grip competitions, there's an interview that a guy named Daniel Strauss did with, Mm -hmm. with David Horn in the last few years, maybe within the last five years. And David really does a good job of outlining those early contests. I think the first contest that he did where where grip was contested and really focused on was in like 1991. Okay, so, wow. So yeah. David is in um he's he's in England. Yeah. So and that's where he was really the inspiration for the contest that Rick did. If you know, if as long as memory serves, um Rick was kind of like, well, I want to do this here and I'm going to do it. Rick was very, Rick was very gung ho about stuff. And I know that probably that's a name that a lot of people are not familiar with, but he, he should really be credited with um, a, a lot when it comes to getting this stuff started, because I fed off his intensity. Like he would talk about doing two and three hour grip sessions at his garage and I'm like, I got to do this. I don't need to go to the gym. I'm going to start making my own gym here in, in the basement. Yeah. And I had like a patch of space here, a patch of space there. I had all my shit in a pile. I'd want something. I'd have to go dig it out in order to train on it. It was it was crazy. But, yeah, there's there's a long history of of grip. This is, this is nothing new that started in yeah. 2016, 2017. This has been going on for a long time, despite what other people might want to say. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And then I just want to backtrack slightly with uh, you competing for uh, Massachusetts strongest man and the two time uh, Maryland strongest man, like an Oh four Oh five, that range. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you in, in the strongman competition, did they have, have like amateur strongman or pro strongman back then? Or was that not even a thing? It was just whatever class you were in. So or, it was or, um... however you showed up. Yeah. I want to say there was a governing body called North American Strongman or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think there might even have been two. I, I'm not sure, but I, I that was the league that I was in, okay. and it was run by Dion and Willie Wessels, and they they would basically um, sanction a contest, and then you had to buy a banner, you had to fly them in. And they basically had to be present at the contest in order for it to garner a certain level. So if you, I want to say there was like bronze, silver, and gold competitions. So if they weren't there, you could only get like a bronze. All right. This might not be a hundred percent accurate, but there were definitely levels. And depending on what events you did, the weights you did, who you had there, it would be different levels. And um, the first one I went to the, at total performance sports, Mm -hmm. Dion was there 
And she's like, she's like running around. She's like, come on, like screaming in your face. Let's go. Like she was behind everybody. It was, it was great. Like um, a name that people might recognize from that time period, Kevin Nee. Kevin Nee ended up being a, a very good strongman pro competitor. And he was an amateur at my first contest. He looked like he was chiseled out of rock. He was, he was phenomenal. So super strong. I remember he whipped through the stones so easily. It was just effortless for him. But yeah, I was, I was in the amateur ranks. I won, I won the Massachusetts strongest man at least once in my weight class. I was in the 265 or 255 weight class. Mm -hmm. And I know I won the Maryland strongest man twice. I never competed in Pennsylvania's strongest man because we actually went there and our, our team went and competed, but I ran a grip booth. We got the opportunity to run a grip booth. We just set up a table and we had what we called the world series of grip. And it was, we, we would challenge people to close a three hub, a 45 York plate, lift the inch dumbbell and lift the blob. And yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Cool. honestly, I don't think anybody ever did all four, but we called it the world series of grip and, you know, I had a good sound to it and we would get a lot of visitors, sell some t-shirts, you know, but I didn't realize what I should do. I should have gotten people's email addresses and their contact information so that I could yeah. maintain a database, but I, di- I didn't do that well, back then. And even back then, I mean, you're almost talking before, I mean, email what it, what it is today. Even, even not what it is today. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and just to kind of go into the next step there, um, you did, uh, Saxonburg strength fest. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was a good one that I wanted to really bring up because you finished second place at that competition. Yes. And the winner of that competition was Don Pope. That's right. And, uh, do you want to give the listeners a breakdown of Don Pope? Like I have some stats written down here just to explain that, but I mean, you competing head to head with him. Um, yeah. What was what was that like? And kind of maybe explain um, who, so, who that is for the listeners. So back in the day in Pennsylvania, there was like a mini circuit of non-sanctioned events. There was Wise Wellness, and then there was Saxonburg Strength Fest. So I had two really good years in strongman, 04 and 05. That's when I won the majority of my contest before injuries crept up mm-hmm. on me and I had to stop. Um I went to the wise wellness and I, I did okay. It wasn't, it wasn't great. The next year I went to wise wellness or wait the way the, I, so I know one year I went to wise wellness and I, and I got beat by a bunch of dudes. Well, a few, a few weeks later was the Saxonburg Saxonburg strength fest and all those same dudes were there and I beat all of them. Mm-hmm. So the experience helped me out figuring out training, being injury-free. I was only like 25, 26, something like that. And I I was, you know, I had a good, really good crew. And we all paid attention to each other and we helped one another. So I went and I competed and I beat all those guys. And I, I made like over $1,000 at that strongman competition. I, I came in second place to Don Pope. Don Pope was a professional strongman that was from that area. And there was anybody could have signed up for this contest. Don Pope did. It was really it was a tune up, you know, competition. Yeah. There was a there was a dump truck pull. There was this trailer lift with like a boat on it. Um, there was a log press. Um, 
there, there, there was a natural stone lifting where you had to pick it up and put it on a trailer. Um, I think they might've had one Atlas stone, but all the other ones were natural stones. So like Don beat me on just about every event. Um, Oh, in that deadlift event, Rick Walker actually came in first. He beat Don Pope in that, in that event. And what's cool is they produced a video and I ordered the video and it's over at my parents' house. It's been a long time since I watched the video, but it's actually like really good footage, really good DVD. Um, but Don Pope was professional level strongman. And after, after that contest, I know that he qualified for the finals and, um, he went to China and I don't know, I don't know how he placed, but, okay. um, yeah, yeah it, he was, he's the only dude that beat me. I was, I was pretty happy with that. Yeah. And with, with what I have here in my notes is that I, I want to say now, if anything's wrong, okay. Yeah. Forgive me. But, um, in 2006, Don Pope placed third place at World's Strongest Man. So, I mean, that just to put it in perspective, you know, who you took second to during that competition or, you know, the level of, you know, who took first. Um, so Don, uh, Don Pope took uh, third place at World's Strongest Man in 2006. And then I believe he had um, like an eighth place finish and a ninth place finish like 0506 and that, or uh, 0507. And that 06 was his best year where he placed third. But I mean, you're talking about somebody that podiumed or was, you know, qualifying and then making it to the finals for world's strongest yeah. man multiple times. So uh, yeah. I, I just think that's worth noting, you know, to, yeah, compete, I, to compete against guys like that. I, I absolutely loved overhead press. So the log, the axle, all that stuff was um, a really good event for me. And part of that was because I had done Olympic weightlifting for I don't know, at least a year or two before I got into strongman. So I was already doing a lot of overhead work and um, my long arms helped me on the tire, helped me on the stones. So many times I would, I would win those events in a, in a contest. Really the only two events that I was no good at was like the yoke walk Mm -hmm. and um, Conan's wheel. I would I would often I would often give up some points on those two events, but generally at a, at the strongman contest I was going to, there were either five or six events. So if you finished second in two of them but won all the other ones, you were going to win because they always yeah. use reverse strongman. So if you got first place, you got one point. If you got second place, two points, etc. Yeah. So it, it 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 worked out really nice. Um, and I I think had I not A, had I not had to sit in a chair all the time in my office at work, and if I would have stayed healthy, I think I would have been able to continue doing strongman at a high level. However, almost every single year, if I went to a contest two years in a row, there would be a dude that was in my weight class that I would beat one year, and then he would be in the next weight class above me completely Lace to the gills, huge, outweighing mm-hmm. me, and I was I was never willing to do anything like that just to do better at a strongman contest. Like, you know, wh- who makes money in strongman, especially back in oh five oh six? Like, yeah. who's making money at that, right? So, I didn't see it as anything that I really wanted to do. So, between the injuries. And that, and the fact that like the guys that I was training with 
they weren't excelling the way that I was. They weren't going to the competitions. Like I was going to the, I was going to those Maryland contests all by myself and they weren't traveling with me. So it just kind of became something where I didn't want to put my time into that sport as much. And I just stuck with grip. Okay. I was going to say, so we're talking 2005, 2006. That's roughly when you kind of make that switch over to kind of being more full-time grip, right? That, yeah, that's really, pretty good. I because strongman was my main emphasis, I didn't train grip that much. Like maybe a month, six weeks before a big contest, I would start working on the events. And I always did grippers, tried to maintain my bending, and block weights were always really fun for me. So I guess I was always pretty good at that. You know, um, I think the first time I did 6'10s, was in 06 or 05. Um, if anybody's seen the shit you've never seen, like there's a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. that I never uploaded to YouTube. You know, back in the day, there was no YouTube. Yeah. And we had we had one of the first blogs on the internet and we would just upload the videos to our website and people could download them. Well, we had to continually keep on like upgrading our um, web presence, our bandwidth. And yeah. because people were just sucking it right out of our website, um, it became a really big expense. Back in the day, it wasn't just you go copy the the code and put it on your on your blog. So, you know, I guess I was ahead of the game, but I didn't leverage any of that. I didn't. I mm-hmm. I was one of the first people online, and I got nothing to show for it. So, like, <laughs> I had a full time job that I was happy with, so I wasn't worried about any of that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, we'd sell some t-shirts to make our gas money back or pay for our hotel. And that was about it. Okay. So when switching to grip, um, most of those, uh, I think you brought up a few different competitions like the GGC and some of those, yeah. um, were those pretty much the primary, I mean, were those like the primary competitions going on during those next couple of years? Yeah. So or- our first GGC, which is global grip challenge was mm-hmm. in 2004 and that first contest that I did battle for grip supremacy was 2003. And what happened was, if I remember correctly, and I just want to say that if I get anything wrong as far as the facts, the years, stuff like that, it's because I'm going by memory. And I shot Zach notes, but I don't even have them out. So yeah, it's, it's um, 20 years ago also. So, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. So, I think Rick ended up getting downsized at his job. So, he couldn't put the contest on the next year. So, we took it over. And we, I made, uh, for one of the years, I don't remember which year it was, whether it was 04 or 05, um, I sent out, I, I made this video and I took a, a picture of the competitor that we were inviting and I made this like five minute video and I burnt it onto a disc and I mailed it to every person saying, we want you to be at GGC. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, GGC ended up being like the biggest contest of the year. So essentially, it was like the United States Championship because yeah. and we were getting like 20 competitors. So it was it was essentially the the United States Championship for for several years. Okay, and now with that uh with that being said, um like I said, you don't have to go like year by year or anything that specific. I'm not asking for that that level of memory. Yeah, but uh, 
who were some of those earlier, I guess we could almost call them pioneers, you know, because I mean, that's some of the earlier grip competitions being held, um, at least in this part of the country or in the country in general. Yeah. Um, what kind of names? I mean, I know you have some written down here, like Chad Woodall, um, Andrew yeah. Derniat, um, there, you know, there's some, do you have names that were kind of like staples during that era? That yeah. Really- like for the first few years, you're thinking, you're talking about guys like Steve McGranahan, Tommy okay. Heslop, Dave Morton, um, Rob, I think W Vigent, which is the arm wrestler, mm-hmm. Rob F Vigent, which is actually his uncle. Um, those guys, Dan Senadoza, these guys were all mainstays, major names, especially I, especially on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, and uh, these guys would be at a lot of contests each year. Rick Walker. Um, and then gradually, a lot of those original guys fell off, whether they just didn't do it anymore, they got injured. But like Dave Morton, uh, he and Tommy Heslop are some of the original number four certified closers. Yeah. Um, back then that was during the era where you could set the gripper and all you had to leave visible was the last inch and then close it. And a bunch of guys certified on the same number four gripper, which was on the lighter end. So at one GGC, I think it was 2005, we actually did an MM3 certification. And none of us closed it because we did the gripper event first and then the number three cert. And I know Clay Edgen was there. Um, Dave Morton tried it and then I tried it and it just, nobody, nobody had anything left. But that gives you an idea. A number four closer certified closer and Dave Morton did not close the MM3 on that day. And that's a guy that I've seen, we met him along the side of the road in 2004, and he had made us a bunch of strongman equipment, a log, farmer's handles, out of, like, scrap from where he worked. And we stood there in the red-hot sun for hours just training in a parking lot, getting this equipment, closing grippers, bending steel. I saw him dip a gripper handle, both handles of a gripper, into, like, axle grease, number three number three gripper and closed it. I watched him do it. It was amazing. It was, it was like just, a no set, just a no set. Or was it like a, no, he some, said it. Still he said, said it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, to see no. that go down, I mean, that was just like one of the most phenomenal things I had ever seen. Well, and, and for anybody that maybe is like, I don't know, judging that from today's standards, like hindsight, you know, 15 years later or something, it's like, you have to, you have to keep in, context the time frame in which it took place because he's, all, he's also the guy who teamed up with greg amadon and made the first gripper rating device yes so those are the guys like uh if, if you're talking about like an rgc for grippers or trying yes. to actually dial in legitimate ways to calibrate a gripper yeah you're saying those two guys are the ones that initially came up with that system that method or whatever that's right yep they called okay. it it was rgc redneck gripper calibrator yeah, and then that since been changed to I I don't know exactly what it stands for. What does it do? Uh, rating the gripper at close. Okay, yeah, I, like I thought it was a terrible name. I didn't want to promote that name, so yeah, Barbie was the first person that I recall saying, "Well, what if we said rated rating the gripper at close?" I was like, "That's fantastic," and that's that's what I started yeah. saying. But it's, it's nice to it's nice to know the origin of it, or for all these people who've maybe seen 
what's RGC? What's that? To know the history of that RGC or to know, you know, to tie it to names that, you know, were big gripper closers and stuff like that. Um, Like I said, anytime we're given credit to something historical or the people that were making that history, um, that's a big important part of kind of what I like to try to highlight on the show to some extent. So when we talk about these old things, I like to make sure that, you know, certain people get their credit, they get their due and, you know, for newer people, they get introduced to these names because like myself, I mean, I've only been involved, you know, two to three years in grip. There's a lot of stuff that happened before me. I mean, we're talking about all these years. So um, unless you're really dedicated to go back in on your own and do your own homework, you're not necessarily going to know this information. So when we get a chance like this to put it out there, I always try to highlight that stuff and uh, really give those guys, um, you know, yourself included, you know, the guys that paved the way, um, their full credit and just educate newer, newer grip lifters or newer people that are interested in this stuff. Um, so from then, uh, so like from 06 and like you said, we're going up to maybe let's say 2010, I'll just kind of chunk it into that. Um, how regularly would you say you were competing at that point? Because I know you mentioned that like nowadays you could almost do a grip competition every month if you wanted, or almost every other week, depending on how far you're willing to travel. Yeah. Um, but in your case, like you said, this stuff is kind of still, still new. It's still very spread out. So like, if you want to go lift on a certain device or I guess meet a certain lifter, you got to put some miles in. You're yeah. not just, uh, yeah, you know, you're, you're not just like driving an hour down the road and that's where everybody's at. So nope. to gain yeah. that experience and hands-on stuff, you had to put, you had to put the miles in. So even during yeah. this time, uh, could you kind of just break down, you know, how often you were competing and maybe what that, what, what the mileage looked like or the effort that went into getting to these competitions. So in 2005, what's on that list? I know GGC is. Okay. Yep. Let me see. BBB, BBB yep. was taking place. Yeah, you got a lot of GGCs in BBB all yeah. the way up to 2007, pretty much. And then 2008, still GGC. Um, well, really GGC yeah. all the way up to 2010. So that's, yeah. that's really, um, the biggest, uh, the biggest one yeah. there. I was trying to figure out how many times I won GGC United States championships in North Americans because it's, it's basically all the same contest, but I, I left so yeah. many of them out. I mean, well, TPS, that's fine. Yeah. TPS held a, a few contests over the years. I, I would say during like the first five years, I would do between one and three contests. And, uh, like the shortest drive was to Massachusetts. So yeah. how many hours is that? Six yeah. hours, five, okay. six hours. And, um, you know, uh, Crooksville for Gripmas was like six or seven hours. Columbus was eight hours. I never did a contest at Columbus until the first Mighty Mitts. Uh, which I think was 2010, if I remember correctly. Um, but driving to Pasodam, Illinois, that was like 14 hours. It, uh, going to Three Rivers, Michigan for the Bob Lipinski Don Larkin contest, that was like, um, that was a good 10, 12 hours. Um, if I was driving, it would have been longer, but, uh, John Eaton was a, was a savage. He was a savage. <laughs> It was, I remember one time it was snowing. The roads were icy. He drove, he, he drove right past a um, big rig on a, on a highway. And as we were passing the truck, a deer ran across the road. So like my life flashed before my eyes, but uh, 
he 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 got it done, dude. Lots lots of yeah. credit. If, if it wasn't for John, there were there's a lot of contests on that list that I wouldn't have been to in those years. Okay, okay. and I'm saying uh, I don't know John at all. Like I said, being somebody that's newer to the sport myself, but just from you know doing the uh, the feet judging. Not that I'm judging, but I'm saying submitting my feats for judging on the grip board and stuff like that. Yes. There's so many of these different lists where I've seen the name John Eaton and when you yeah. go back into grip board. So um, even if I don't know some of these people, I see what they've done and these names kind of stick with me. So that's, that's a name that uh, it, it's yeah, good to hear was, you kind of uh, bring up more was, about. Uh, like a jailer? Mm-hmm. Is, that what, is that what you would call it? A police officer that works in a jail? Yeah, or I mean, corrections uh, officer. Yeah, corrections officer. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So he, and he was just like naturally farm boy, farm boy strong. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his improvement came from like technique adjustments. He, I don't think he did a lot of training. Yeah. So, and he was involved from like 05 to 07. And then he really, he really fell off. I saw him, I think the last time I saw him was in like 2016 or 2017 at one of the grip challenges that we ran in tandem with uh, one of uh, James Dugan's arm wrestling competitions. Um, He's a Syracuse uh, based arm wrestling promoter, among other things. He does all kinds of stuff, but he's, he's responsible for a lot of the arm wrestling contests that Luke has gone to up in the Syracuse area. And we've run several grip challenges up there over the years. I think the last one was 20. 2021 or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So not too long ago. Yeah. Um, you have down here also, um, 2009. So I don't know if we could just summarize that year for you in 2009, but, uh, you have first and that you have Metro flex written down. Yep. Um, and you have Eric Milfield, uh, Paul Knight and Rex Hubbard, um, mentioned. So, I mean, yeah, that was a contest in, um, Fort Worth, Texas. That Rick, or uh, excuse me, um, Eric Milfeld mm-hmm. uh, was the head promoter, and I went to that contest specifically because I wanted a shot at breaking the two hand pinch world record, and so I so I flew to Texas. I spent the day with Paul and Rex. Rex Hubbard was a very very strong boy. He was he was only in his twenties. Of course, Paul Knight I think is a name that a lot of people at least knew I, he's not involved anymore and I don't see him that much, but people ask me about him all the time. He's been um, brought up a lot on the show. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, every now and, you know what I mean? Every now and then, you know, depending yeah. on the guest, you know, that, yeah. that name's still popping up even. So, yep. um, and what happened was, I don't know why, but Eric took all the seasoning off of his plate pinch the day before the competition. So like Paul's like, where's our Euro? Right. Oh, this is our Euro. They had it. They had, they had, yeah. you know, bought it together because all the Euros at that time came straight from David Horn. So we were the first ones to have one. We, we first ran our, our Euro in 2005 and Eric had one. And uh, I think uh, Aaron Corcoran had one and um but that's that's why I went to the competition and and he goes and like strips all the seasoning off. So I think I only did like two thirty nine or something like that in the yeah. competition. It was it was good enough to win the event by quite a bit, but it, it really ruined the numbers for the day. I, I still don't know why he did that. Yeah, and then speaking of that two hand pinch world record, 
um, that year at Gritmas is when you broke that record. Yeah, and what's what's crazy is there was bending in that competition. There was reverse bending, and um, my my initial hit, I would always go left in front and right and back, and my my thumb seized up on one of my bends. And like, I, I, I don't know if I pried it open or what, but I probably wasn't properly hydrated. And, you know, it's like the last event and, uh, I injured my thumb and it wasn't until June of 2009 that I fixed my thumb. I went to the strength clinic that I went to basically every year and Dick Hartzell was there. He's the band man. He's the guy yeah, that yeah. originally brought bands into the fitness realm, introduced them to, um, Louis Simmons and, and Louis started incorporating them in his, uh, conjugate slash West side training. So, so I talked to, to, uh, I talked to Dick at the, at the conference and he showed me this drill where he took, basically it was voodoo wrapping. He took a broken band and he put a, just a bottle cap off of a, a water bottle against my thumb. He wrapped it and he showed me what to do. And, within two weeks, my thumb was right back to normal that and that contest in Texas was in January. That was in June when I met Dick. So just about six months, I was, I was hindered by the serious thumb injury. It was, it was fixed within two months. And gradually I really poured the pressure on for the two hand pinch. And finally, after, I don't know how many times I, I missed the record, probably at least five times in competitions um, between like 2005 and 2009 I missed the record uh several times I took uh, the the record as my final attempt one time at a TPS contest in Massachusetts I had the world record I I picked it up and as I lifted it the weights began sliding off of the the loading bar and I oh, not tight the, the the collar wasn't tight the, yeah. the promoter half I did the back collar he half-assed the the front collar. That was not Murph. That was a guy. That was a different guy um, that was running that that grip contest. So I hit the stick, but I couldn't set it down fast enough. All the weights fell off the front, and you can hear John Eaton in the background saying, "Oh no!" So <laughs> I I took another attempt because of the equipment malfunction, but. By that point, my adrenaline dumped, and I I had nothing left. There there was just nothing left. So it, there was a bunch of disappointing contests, and and finally, in at Gripmus in two thousand nine, um, after documenting all my training for like two solid months, I uh, I'm ready to break the record. My head's right. I needed two fifty five or something like that, and Chad Woodall breaks the record right before me because I was doing. I was doing 54 millimeters and he was doing like 48 or 52 or something like that. And he broke it on his last attempt, as I recall. And then I had to come back and do my attempts on my with after him. And I ended up breaking his record. Okay. He's 256 and some change. All right. So from that, right, you have the record. Um, somebody in between comes and like, you know, takes that record back from you correct or or did you re-break your own record can you remember that or i i set the record five times so, okay, so 
I, I, just, I, I just didn't know if you were like following yourself or if there was someone else that maybe came back in and then you guys were pushing each other up, but I'm going to get to the point where you break the record for the last time. Yeah. So there, there, at some point, a guy from Sweden named Martin Aroldson broke the record, but I, I don't remember when that was or what okay. weight he, he lifted. Um, but I know at one of the world's strongest hands that David, David promoted, and it's basically like King Kong is now. So you have all these venues all over the world and they submit the results at the end. And then you find out the standings a day or two later and, um, world's strongest hands was a series. So it was, I think four months in a row. So your score accumulated. And if you didn't attend one of the contests, you were basically screwed. So, cause your score was accumulating. And, um, so at one of, one of those years, I think it was 2011, something didn't go right at my competition. I said, fuck this. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm, I'm done running these contests. And I went to Chris Rice's house and I, and I did it and I broke the record twice there. So I think, yeah. I think I got like 257 and 262. Um, and, uh, I just, I just can't remember what years. I can't remember. Okay. What yeah. Years. So, um, would you say that'd be 2011? Man, I think so. I no, think. Okay. Now, this is the first yeah, that time. Yeah. That makes I'm sense. Seeing, that makes the first sense. time I'm Be- seeing Nags pop up. Okay. So Nags was formulated in 2011 because I got, I got okay. sick of yeah. people. I got sick of people bitching basically. We need a governing body, blah, blah, blah. So at the time I was doing. I had already done a podcast called Grip Strength Radio before the word podcast even existed. Mm-hmm. So Dave DePue had this network. It was the Dave DePue network. And he had people that did phone interviews and recorded them and uploaded them to the Dave DePue network. And Smitty and I had Grip Strength Radio. So that lasted for like a year or something. And we just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I ended up starting that back up all by myself. And I would just, um, a lot of, I don't even think I had guests through most of them. A lot of them I was just doing myself. And I said, screw this. I'm going to, I'm going to start a federation. So I came up with the North American grip sport organization. So if you go back in the annals, you'll see NAGZO. And then I took organization off eventually and just made it NAGS. So, and then, the contest nags was the North American grip sport championship. And it was just, it was just basically the same date every year that GGC was usually we held GGC in uh, September that, that just worked out really good. And that was when BFGS was. So that's, that's where nags comes from. Okay. And that was, that was basically like GSI before, you know, nags switched to GSI. Yeah. Yeah. For the sanctioning body. Exactly. Okay. So with 2011 being the first year, for nags um i want to just bring up this competition because like i said this is on the euro for two-hand pinch um this is when um this was at a uh says it was held at a climber's gym and uh so climber climber is chris rice okay or held at climbers okay yeah his background was climbing so his handle on the grip board is climber and it's got some numbers after gotcha so that you're using his tag name okay because i've heard the name chris rice a ton and i'm I'm familiar with him hosting grip uh gripmas and stuff like that so he yes he hosted gripmas so in that particular year um i ran the 
either GGC or United States Championship, whatever whatever its official name was, I held at Chris Rice's. Okay. So I took all my shit with me to Ohio. I had a terrible back injury. The the day that I left for the competition, I actually got an adjustment at the chiropractor's office because my back was so bad. And um, I was feeling good after the adjustment. I bent over. It went right back out. And then I had an eight-hour drive out to Chris's place. So that was not the most optimal situation for a grip contest, right? Yeah. And um, at that time, we were running because I always wanted to try to make stuff fair. So, like, in 05 and 06, we had hand-sized divisions. I wanted to try to keep things fair. Well, that that never caught on. So then I developed the elite category. So if you totaled 800 pounds between your gripper RGC clothes, your two hand pinch lift and your axle lift, that was like, and you could get an elite total. Mm-hmm. And at the time there was, I think there was only one or two people that had totaled 800 pounds. It was Chad Woodall and somebody else, maybe Andrew Derniat, but I, I just don't remember. Um, so I chose 800 because I hadn't hit it yet. I didn't want to just put myself in the elite category. So yeah. eventually when I got my grippers up, my axle was like dead for years. Like I didn't do more than like 373 for years, um, probably because I didn't train it enough, hard enough or properly. But the one thing I always consistently hit was the the two-hand pinch. And I was doing things that I'm convinced nobody was doing and nobody has done since that day. But um, eventually I got to that uh, 800. So what I'm saying is at that contest, we had an elite, an elite class. And it was me, Andrew Dernia, and Adam Glass. So, yeah. and I finished third. The last lift of the day uh before the medley was the plateau buster lift so the plateau buster was an implement that you could do a one hand deadlift on that Ryan Pitts made at strongergrip.com and um you know Adam and Andrew did like 600 pounds on it and we're using percentage based scoring and I my back was so fucked I only got like 200 pounds so <laughs> yeah. aside from yeah, I don't know how I did on all the other events. I know I broke the world record in the pinch, but you can see in the video on YouTube, like I go over, I pick it up and I set it down and I went right to a chair. Like I didn't cut a promo. I didn't scream and holler like I normally do. Like I was yeah. in so much pain. I just went and sat down. And then um I think I did all right in the medley. The medley was like 50 items. There was one challenge where you had to take a blob and walk it up a set of stairs. <laughs> it yeah. was, it was crazy. Um, and you had like four minutes or something like that. Those, those were, those were the good old days when you had those big ass. Well, and that's what I was going to bring up because that's the last time that you broke that two hand pinch record at 264 pounds. Mm -hmm. And just for people um, listening in, just to kind of throw in some names that maybe some, you know, some of the grip people know, or maybe, you know, everybody knows, but, uh, the kind of people that you would find under your record at that time. If you break it down, it's like Steve Gardner, Aaron Corcoran, Chad Woodall, Adam Glass, Andrew Derniat. So these are guys that you all pass up. A name on this list, I think a lot of people aren't going to be familiar with, or they are not. They're, they're going to be familiar with the name, but they're not going to realize that this name is even in the GSI rankings. Is uh, Lawrence Chalet? That's. Is, I think that's who broke it in between me. 
I think I think in okay. between at some point I think he broke it. Yep. Okay. But that's that's big Lowe's or whatever. So yep. Lowe's and Liz, they do strongman coverage for the world's strongest man. Um very popular. He's a long time I mean to tie this back into strongman a little bit. Um Lowe's is a you know I don't know how many time world strongest man competitor over the last, you know, probably more than a decade um, yeah. and, and all that stuff. So uh, Lawrence Chalet was on that list or as a lot of people, you know, goes by Lowe's now or big Lowe's, whatever. I think um, it's pronounced laws, but big laws, big laws, big Lowe's, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but, uh, but yeah, so not a lot of people would expect to see another world strongest man competitor kind of, I don't know, pop up in this interview, some other, some yeah. other way, but that was a record that, you said at 264 pounds, and then I think it was another three or four years before like David Horn and Cody Burns went on to break that. So that record yeah. stood for a decent amount of time after that. And I I think at some point, I think I got 268. I could be wrong on that. Okay. I, I thought at some point I got 268, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how it went for several years. See, you got to understand, like, there were, there was basically two world records. There was the Euro pinch and there yeah. was the vertical bar. That's, that's all there was. And those two lifts were in countless grip contests back in the day. And the, the, the vertical bar was a one inch vertical bar and you had to buy the LGC vertical bar from mm-hmm. Sweden from Mikhail Siverson or else it didn't count. Yeah. So, I mean, the, you, there was limitations back then. There weren't all these companies making all this equipment. You couldn't go to, Instagram and sit, search grip equipment and have 50 results come up. It, yeah. There just weren't that many people out there making equipment and everything was extremely standardized. So, you know, I, we got, we got the Euro and the vertical bar at the same time. So they were in our contests in 05, 06, 07, 08. They were in, I would bring them with me to Gripmas. I mean, the Euro that I have has been in probably, I don't know, 20 different competitions in five or six different locations. So, you know, we we had to bring the equipment with us so that other people would have the opportunity to uh, train or compete on it. Yeah. And uh, with with NAGS kind of continuing on, Mm -hmm. there's a stretch here from – 2014 to 2018 um and it looks like these were held at Durney at strength um where you pretty much took first overall for about four or five years in a row yeah 2012 2012 was when i did really shitty i was really bad out of shape i wasn't says third says says third place for that one yeah and that may have been a competition where we had the elite class going on um um i know that adam was there um and andrew won I, I just did terrible. I, I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared. And that was the contest. I won the pinch event. I got 255, but it took me four attempts to get it. I missed it three times. And like a couple of those, I didn't even get it off the ground. And what another thing a lot of people don't realize is you got one pull. You had to set your grip and you got one pull. And that was yeah. your attempt. If you didn't make it, you, there wasn't a 30 or a 60 second time limit. Yeah, so, you couldn't just keep grabbing it and keep taking pulls or whatever the nope, case. You couldn't go rechalk, yeah. nothing. So um that was really a low point for me. I'm ashamed of the picture that I took outside with Mark Nolan and Ryan Pitts. Mm-hmm. Um it was it was 
I, it was just terrible. That was a low point. And that was when I said, I am not going to – because at the time, all all I cared about was the two-hand pinch world record. That's all I cared about. Yeah, yeah. grippers a little bit, bending, you know, bobs. But as far as event-specific training, I never missed any two-hand pinch unless my thumbs were torn. And that was what I was dedicated on. And I, in my in my head, I was just going to – I was going to pull 300 pounds on that 200-hand pinch. I didn't care how many years it took me to get it. That was what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. But when when 2012 took place, it was such uh, an emotional – I think I cried on the way home. I was so upset with myself. And starting in 2013, that's when I started losing weight. Um, I didn't win the overall in 2013, but I won my weight class – that was the year that I went with JT Strossner. Um, and then 2014, like shit was firing on all cylinders. I was like 229 pounds. And that's when I started winning contests all the time. Okay. Again. Yeah. Cause you had about a four year run there. Um, yes. So you're, you're placing first overall for the next four years. Now, what is it at NAGS uh, 2019 that made you not compete? Can you remember? Cause you did not compete pete in 2019 and that is the year yeah. i think that luke won um yes what uh what was your reasoning there can you remember why you didn't compete or uh let's just that? say i had some personal issues going on and gotcha. it was distracting me from my training and i just wanted to run the contest make it run smoothly that year we had two euros going on at the same time i yeah. bought i bought new plates we seasoned them up as equally as we could. I had two Euro platforms going on. I had all the rated, um, you know, weighed plates um, enough for everything. We did all the widths. Uh, and that, that contest took place in Elmira at Brad Martin's Titan Fitness. Brad was one of the original Diesel Crew members. Um, tiny hands, has like seven and a half inch hands, lifted the blob. Yeah. Um, we just, we, we told him what to do. He did it. And within a matter of weeks, he was able to lift the blob at like, I don't even know if he ever had a driver's license at the time. <laughs> like he was still in yeah. high school and he just, his, his email address was sick grip at gmail.com. Um, so, uh, I, so I asked him, I was like, do you care if I run the contest up there? Because prior to that, we were running them in my garage. Um, there was a couple years we were where we ran them at a, a buddy's place in Tawanda called the Edge Fitness, but um, didn't want to do that anymore because it was too hard to clean the chalk off of their martial arts mats. So I I took my stuff up to Elmira, New York, and I ran that contest there two years in a row, and I just I sat out that one year. Okay. Um, and, and we could get. I mean, 2019, we're getting pretty current. Um, and we can kind of bounce into some other stuff. I mean, that covers a, we might've skimmed over some things and left some stuff out, but like I said, there's so many competitions. There's so many years we could cover. Um, yeah. we could do three episodes on competitions, you know, so just to kind of, uh, maybe move, move on from the competition side or the history side. Um, yeah. something I'm just kind of interested in here. You have, uh, just things that you kind of wanted to bring up or things to discuss was just major names of the past. Yeah. So real quick, just these major names of the past. I'm just going to name the name on the sheet here. And you don't have to go into a long thing about it, but maybe just uh, a short, 
quick hitter story, maybe something they did that was significant or just some type of thing that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Some reasoning as to why their name is on this piece of paper. Sure. Um, so major names of the past, Chad Woodall. Chad Woodall is the, probably the best grip athlete that wasn't, you know, a professional level strongman that I've ever competed against. He, he was like a hurricane. He blew through everybody for years. And to this day, I'm sure he could show up at any contest and win every single contest, every single one. Now, if we move on, uh, Andrew Derniak. Andrew, if there's anybody that is going to beat Chad Woodall, it's going to be Andrew. Um, Okay. He came from a kettlebell background. He is the reason that the napalm nightmare exists. In analyzing why the hell I could not beat that guy, um, I narrowed it down to his kettlebell training and all of the dynamic eccentric loading on his fingers. Well, I cannot stand doing kettlebell training. I, I was I was certified in the RKC, the Russian Kettlebell Challenge, and I just I could not do that. I was not going to pay that price of that monotony of that training. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I came up with a way for me to dynamically load my hands using a rolling handle, and that's that's how I came up with the napalm's nightmare. But, yeah. So you, you were um, originally swinging that, not not intending it to be a deadlift style. Yes. Thing. It was never intended to be a grip contest implement, never a deadlift. I swung it just like mm-hmm. a two-hand kettlebell swing. Yep. Okay. Uh, moving along the list here, Ryan Johnson. Okay. Ryan Johnson was a Michigan guy. So he was he was kind of like a Rex Hubbard. He was a younger fella, and he was probably like 250 pounds cut out of rock, and he was really good. He had the – he want he he beat the one inch vertical bar record at one point, so he was a guy that I was going up against out in Michigan. I don't I don't think he ever beat me, but I don't think I ever won that contest. I think one year Dave Thornton beat me, and I think one year Aaron Corcoran beat me. Okay, um, and that brings us to our next name, Dave Thornton. So Dave Thornton, he was another mm-hmm. Michigan guy. Um, he. He was a little bit older. I don't know what the space of time was between me and him, but I remember him saying that it was it was it was really difficult for him to maintain his strength. So I, I think he was another guy that was in corrections. And you know, one thing led to another. I don't know if it was injuries or just uh, you know that that inability to recover but he was another really good competitor in those mid 2000s he um i remember the first time i heard about him he submitted a picture lifting the blob that back then we accepted pictures because not everybody had a fucking video camera the phones didn't do shit back then so (laughs) um picture submissions were allowed back in the in the early to mid 2000s for the records list on the grip board. Okay. And then uh Bob Lipinski? Yeah, and again, I just it goes back to the giving credit where it's due. Bob Lipinski actually started the United States Grip something mm-hmm. before me. Um so at, I want to say in like 06 07 he started that. 
So I was actually kind of picking it off, picking it up where he left off because he, if I remember correctly, he went through a divorce and he couldn't put the time in anymore. And it was several years that we didn't hear from Bob Lipinski. And then eventually he ended up running another contest at Don Larkin's gym. And uh, I didn't end up going to that one, but I I went to the other two. Um, And that was like a, that was like a summer contest. So that was where you went in the summer. And then you came out to my place in September. And then in between there was the backyard bastard bash. Okay. And that uh, was, next, by the, okay. I just want to say that was John Beatty that did the backyard bastard bash. He was the original owner of fat bastard barbell company. Okay. Yeah. And that's why it's backyard bastard bash. And like he did, he did stuff back in out in his garage, out in the lawn. It was, it was very primal. <laughs> so uh, another name you have here is uh, Steve McGranahan. Steve McGranahan won the battle for grip supremacy. Steve McGranahan is the world's strongest redneck character. Yeah, that's that's I say that's his like uh, his tag name or yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's closed fours. He was one of the first people to put out a grip DVD. Um, I think Greg Amadon helped him with that. I have a copy of it somewhere. I think he put out two, but I think I only got the first one. Um, like I said, he won the BFGS. Uh, he was the first guy that I remember seeing doing grip combo feats. So okay. I remember distinctly him closing the three in one hand and bending down and picking up the blob. So he he would he was from he was right on the line. I think Newcastle, Pennsylvania is where he's from. And he so it's right on the line of Ohio and Pennsylvania. So it was not a long drive for him to get to Punxsutawney, which is where Rick Walker lives. So there's a lot of videos. I don't know if you can still view them, but if you go to the movie gallery on the grip board, you can see a lot of videos with uh, Steve McGranahan if they're still up and, Back then, Bill Pache would put all of them up. That's Wanna Grip. That's the yeah. owns the grip board, and he would always put "Down with the Sickness" over over that song by Disturbed over all the videos. And dude, I would fucking watch these videos over and over and over. It was it was so awesome. And then we touched on this one a little bit, um, but David Horn, you mentioned him. You know, hosting competitions as far back, you know, over. Overseas, in the nineties. Yeah, in the nineties. So that one we maybe have kind of touched on as far as him almost, um, and and that's like the world's strongest hands, right? Um, That that whole deal. So um, he, it was me, him, I think Eric Milfeld. So you'll see, you'll see something called the IGC. That was the International Grip Collective. Mm And I forget who else was on there, but we put together like uh, the first rule book for for grip sport. Okay. So I mean, it, the level of pioneership, pioneerhood, whatever you want to call it, of David Horn is immeasurable. Okay. And then the name you just mentioned also is Eric Milfeld. Um, that's uh, you know, is there anything you have to add to that? I mean, you kind of just mentioned yes. him there, but so Eric, as far as I know, is the one that came up with the scoring that we use in grip now where it's percentage based based on what Mm -hmm. the winner of the event 
yeah. scored and what your whatever you did is divided by the winner's scoring. So Eric um on the grip board he would he would organize what was called the grip bash. So he would announce maybe two months down the road that these are the events we're going to do. You send in your results and then we'll see what you ended up, how you ended up placing. And um, I remember one of the events he held a bending event and I, I provided all the steel for everybody. I went and got cold rolled steel and um, I sent like maybe five, 10 bars to people. I, I don't recall, but anybody that took place, or took part in the contest would bend these bars. So it was bars from like the same two or three sticks mm-hmm. of cold rolled steel in order to uh, standardize it. And then uh, Chris Rice, we mentioned him hosting Gritmas, but. Yep. Um, yeah. I first, I first saw Chris Rice at one of the Arnold classics. He was competing in the Olympic weightlifting. That dude's done like every strength sport, every, any, anything that was of physical culture, physical demand. Chris did it. And he's held, I, I don't know how many, how many gripmases he held. He held at least one before I started going. So mm-hmm. I think I went in maybe 2006 or something like that, but he kind of got the bug after coming to GGC in 2005. Okay. And then we got two names left just to cover off this, this list. Like I said, just, I'm just running down the list of names you mentioned. If they're written yep. down, there's probably a reason. So I just want to cover yep. it. Um, Paul Knight. Um, Paul Knight. Paul Knight did his share of competitions. He was Eric Milfeld's training partner. Uh, prior to that, he was a climber and uh, I want to say jujitsu. I was going to say because I, I thought I saw a video of him with some cauliflower ear. So being a being a being a fighter and a grappler myself, I'm like, hey, yeah, he's he, he's he's done oh, yeah. something. So you don't, you don't I pick up with, on that. You don't fuck with Paul Knight. No, there's nothing. <laughs> there's no amount of alcohol or he can say whatever you want to. I'll never mess with that guy. I've seen him kick the, that, you know, that big, long heavy bag thing that like touches the ground and you kick that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him kick that and like kink it. Like it was scary, scary, <laughs> uh, absolute badass. But like um, <laughs> one of the best gripper closes at the at his time of competing i in the last time i was out at his house not sure when it was he closed a 3.5 and that that guy don't train that guy does yeah. not train. um i don't he came out he came out for ggc in 2008 and he came out for i think king kong in like 2015 which was the year that i won it mm-hmm. um he's been at been at a couple gripnesses there was one gripness that I missed. So it was 2016 uh, when I had my like catastrophic back injury where I thought I was done lifting. And um, he, he went to that when I was supposed to go, Luke went, we ended up videoing afterwards. Um, one, okay. of, one of my absolute best friends, I talked to him like once a year and it was like, we just started talking or that we just talked yesterday. Okay. And you mentioned there that you won King Kong in uh, 2015. It's funny because in your, uh, all the competitions with nags and everything else that we covered, you left that out. <laughs> so <laughs> you didn't even write down that you won King Kong. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, that, that, I, it's pretty funny. I but, actually uh, have the banner in my gym. It's <laughs> like the only artifact of grip that I, you know, I have medals, I have trophies. Yeah. I, I meant tonight to bring my belt out and I totally forgot to do that. Yeah. 
from nationals this year, but that's, that's the only thing I display. I was, I was very, very proud of that. I was not expecting to win that year. And then last name, Shane Larson on, on the list to cover there. Yeah. So Shane Larson was, I think like a North Dakota guy, like a Midwest dude, but um, he, he goes by on the grip board. He goes by show Larson, like big show, the wrestler, mm-hmm. big show. And he was like six, seven, 300. Okay. So pretty big guy. Um, and he, I know he did like the, the mash monster one, like, like almost like a no set and just fucking smashed it. Um, he was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I guess we got her, you know, something like that. It was, it yeah. was real easy for him. Um, lifted the inch easy inch dumbbell, no problem. But he was, he was out to the competition that I went to that Brian Carlton ran in 2004 in January in Minnesota. It was so cold. It was so cold. And, um, I, I stayed with a guy. His name's Jeff. Damn, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Jeff something. I think it starts with C. Great guy. And uh, we jumped in his vehicle. It was like an hour drive, and the vehicle never warmed up. Dude, I I think it was like below zero that day. It was so cold. And I still had the tendonitis or the tennis elbow or whatever in my elbows. Back then, dude, we wrapped shit with bank bags and towels. Like the Vigents wrapped their steel bars with bank bags. Cause they're kind of like Cordura. So yeah. it's kind of like the blue stuff that the iron mine pads are made out of. And, um, but it's like impermeable. So you, you didn't hurt yourself. I wrapped with a, with a freaking bath towel. That was like a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> there was, there was no suede back then, bro. Um, yeah. there's a picture that you can find where I'm like wrapping or maybe maybe I'm in the middle of a bend. You can see the towel is like most of it's hanging down to my waist and we're standing on a, a stone lifting platform and Dave Oslin, there was like, dude, there were, there were over 20 competitors at that, at that competition. Um, Jeff Bissonette, he was the first guy to ever, uh, well, maybe not the first. He was one of the first two guys to double inch farmer's walk. Okay. I can't remember. I can't remember if Jeff was the first one or Joe Sward, but both of them did did a double inch farmer's walk, and he was in the competition. Shane was there. I don't. I I think I finished fourth. I I can't remember. Um, okay. I I have a plaque somewhere. I, I don't I don't know where it is. But he but Brian Carlton called his organization the Blob Syndicate, and um the the shirt that he gave everybody was black and it had two hands on it but it was chalk. It was like fingerprints. Yeah. And um, it was called strong arm tactics. It was all, it was like written in white. It it was, it was badass, dude. It was badass. Yeah. Now with all these names we've mentioned, with all the competitions we've mentioned, um, you just have a hypothetical question here. I don't think we're going to be able to answer it, but we could maybe throw some stuff back and forth here on it. Um, Who really is the best ever? Now that's, subjective that can be an opinion but we've named a bunch of people so if we're talking in the realm i guess you could break that into categories who's the best at feats who's the best in competition a certain lift you know there there's a lot of different ways but just going off of what you have written down you know who really is the best ever um personally i don't think that's a question we can answer you know it it depends on like at what but um do you have a, a take on that or anything maybe that stands out to you or 
where where does your brain go when you think about who is the best ever? Because you could have somebody that maybe wasn't the strongest, but they were a pioneer. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for them, the sport wouldn't have been where it's at. And then you could have somebody that had nothing to do with pioneering it, but they did ungodly feats and like set the bar so high that, it, you know, so yeah. there's a lot of room for what this question could mean. Yeah. Um, but, you know, your interpretation or just where you're in this current moment, how you're thinking about it. Who's yeah. who's who's the best ever? Or it could just be a list of a couple of different names. I mean, because you know we could name several. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, any so any take keep, on that? If, we, if we keep it to the United States, okay, it's, it's got to be I, the first name that comes to mind is Chad Woodall. And if if we assume that from '05 to now that those guys never would have stopped training, the only guy that would have had a chance to beat him is Andrew Durniat. Okay. He's he's the only dude. There's there's nobody else. Take body weight out of it; it doesn't matter. Chad was, I don't know, two eighty, maybe at his heaviest that I recall. Andrew at his heaviest was maybe two forty five. The majority of the time he competed, he was in the hundred five kilo class. But I think when I first met him, he had a lot more muscle on him. He was at least much thicker because of all the overhead work with the kettlebells. His deltoids were just ridiculous. So it, it would, it would come down to one of those two guys. Okay. Um, the only, dude, the only reason why I ever beat Andrew is because he, he, he didn't train after like 2013. He didn't train grip after 2013. And so he would just kind of show up to those competitions as is doing yeah. all his other stuff and then just still bring yeah. like a world class grip to the table, but he yeah. wasn't specializing. He wasn't specializing. Um, in 2009, he came to my house and did GGC or United States Grip Championship, whatever it was. And he had like a, an injured hamstring and still pulled like 470 on the axle. <laughs> and it was a yeah. grinder, dude. He never pulled anything fast. They were all grinders. Yeah. Like I'm talking three seconds, three, maybe five seconds to lock, to lock the thing out. It was yeah. unbelievable. So well, as, 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 as much as he's been, uh, as much as he's been mentioned, I feel like at some point we might have to get Andrew on the show. I don't know if he would entertain doing the grip show or something since he's not necessarily a grip based guy, but mm-hmm. uh, it's hardly an episode we've done where he hasn't been mentioned. So, I mean, I, that, yeah, that I don't weight. think um, if he said no, I don't think it would be out of a lack of interest. Yeah. But like, I got to tell you, dude, I'm not 100% sure he still runs his gym because he's, he's since in the last five years, I've seen him. I, I guess probably he does. I think maybe I've seen a video where he was training in the same building. But, okay. um, in the last five years, he's become an EMT. He's become a fireman. Um, the dude and, and, and he trains for like ultra marathons and stuff like that. Yeah. See, he couldn't, he could not afford to train the axle because he was doing so much triathlon and ultra marathon work. It was beating his feet up. His feet couldn't handle it. I, I remember that coming out of his mouth. Yeah. Um, so I, he's involved in so much stuff, dude. I just don't know if you'd be able to nail a time down, but it would definitely be worth reaching out to him. And, um, amazing amazing man an amazing man okay now uh just kind of moving on from that because like i said chad woodall andrew durnia that would be your 
you know, if you could say the best ever, keeping mm-hmm. it within the U.S. or whatever the case is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, if we just kind of, I'm just going to kind of venture into, uh, I guess, future goals. You know, we talked about a lot of the past year. Um, now we're kind of in the present. What and, and I'd like to get into what you're going to do moving forward. Um, yeah. One thing that is been a topic of your YouTube channel and other stuff lately is you've had a hand injury you've been dealing with since nationals. Um, Getting that healed up is on your future goal list. How's that process been going? So I've been dealing with this injury since January of 2020. We went to Canada for the pinch grip games. That's where I earned the title of King of Pinch. Eric Roussain ran that contest in Ottawa. And that was the, time that we stayed with we stayed overnight at Devin Larratt's house because it, it was like a blizzard and we, we couldn't drive home I think I've seen um, some videos from that yeah yeah Somewhere. we did yeah. uh we did like a sit down talk and um Devin Paul Lynn and myself I think all uploaded the same footage to our YouTube mm-hmm. channels or it, it might have been like like the stuff I got on my camera went on my YouTube channel and like the stuff he got on his and Storm Chilino was there and he I think also had a camera. So whatever we got, we were able to use. Okay. Um and on the way up, I it was the first time I ever used one of those vibrating guns, the yeah, like the, the percussion device. And like I bought one after that because it actually made my finger feel better. I don't know what I did to my finger. I, I really don't. I just know that for that contest it was hurting and it's never stopped hurting. Um, but in April of this year, I started incorporating some conjugate training in my grip work and I, I strained something. I, I, it just was beyond, I was keeping me up at night. It felt like a migraine headache in my hand. Um, so I had to tone my workout or my training down for nationals and it was, uh, it was throbbing so freaking bad. I, I really shouldn't have gone to Maryland's strongest hands. Like it hurt so bad. Um, the, the three by four Saxon, it just hurts it so bad. Um, and I, I, I trained that for, uh, like a week or two after the, after nationals this year, that's when I I just went right into heavy hands prep, and so you the, had you had I mean, but you had uh, basically, well, I'll say back to back because you would have had nationals in the middle, but you're basically doing a lot of that Saxon at that three inch width, yeah, um, back yes. to back to back almost, yeah. So yeah, I I didn't I actually didn't train the three by four for Maryland strongest hands. I I mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't okay. train it because. I didn't want to mess up my training because I knew I could break that record on the two by five napalm nightmare pinch. So I didn't bother. Um, and, uh, like two workouts in, dude, I like, I'm, I went from the first workout, like tripling what Luke was doing to singling what he was tripling mm-hmm. on the, on the two and three eights Andrews axle, um, device that we have. It was just killing me. It was it was killing me. I was like, I I can't do this. So like, I haven't done shit left handed except for blobs and plate pinching because that's it's literally the only. I cannot close a fifty four pound rated gripper with my left hand. I and I haven't been able to for years. It's been years. Um, so I've gone to therapy twice with uh, Jim Wagner, 
Um, I've stretched every single day except for like three days since I started the therapy. Um, it's getting better. Like it doesn't hurt right now. Uh, I have crepitus in my fingers. So like when I close my hand, I can feel some like crunching going on. So it yeah. is getting better, but I have not tested it. Um, okay. Like, I couldn't lift Blobzilla today left-handed. Uh, and I did a double Blobzilla lift like a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, that my strength on block weights is always up and down. So like I'm, I'm real close all the time, but I can't always get it. Um, but, uh, and I did, uh, I did two forty fives, and I broke two fifty fives off the ground left-handed in the last three weeks. Um, and I added 10 pounds to 245s and broke that off the ground left-handed, but um, didn't lock them out. But the, the main thing is it didn't hurt afterwards. There was no pain. Yeah. I've been training the inch dumbbell clean, and because I'm afraid of breaking my floor, plus I always feel restricted when I'm in here. Like I, I'm not giving it my all in in this gym. So I've been taking the inches over to the park, and I don't train my left hand clean. But yeah. what – but just carrying them in a duck walk with both hands cradling the inches from the gym to my truck out to the spot where I do the cleans, then back into my truck and back into my gym, it like rattles something in my hand. And just that cupping action, it's that round, that thick round yeah. positioning and it, and it bothers my hand. So it's, it's going to take a while. I mean, I've had it for over three years, so it's going to take a while to get better. And, um, you know, I'm not going to perform optimally at King Kong because uh, I'm I'm left-handed on the jug, so it's it's just not going to be there. But you know, I figure yeah. the most important thing is to get back to tip-top shape. So um, I ended up skipping heavy hands. That was like I might as well just taken a red hot poker and shoved it in my eye because that's what it felt like not going. Um, yeah, but yeah, I guess you could say it's progressing, and eventually I'll get rid of this damn thing that I have to wear on my on my middle finger but uh yeah you know it is what it is injuries happen and you know I think in the past there's been people that have injured themselves and it's taken them out of the sport um like some of those names injuries got them you know so many more injuries got them people that had great potential you know there was a guy John Vogt who was like closing number fours and he was doing an extreme negative on a number four ended up destroying his hand you know, that he, he yeah. had the potential to do, to be the first person to certify on the number four with the, with the new credit card rules. So, you know, there's people like that, that stuff like this has happened. It, it just, it's something that happens and I'll, I'll get through it. Yeah. I say the biggest thing is probably just training around it and making sure yeah. that you don't do anything that's going to be detrimental, but yep. uh, yeah, ho- hopefully the handle heal up. Um, as far as your own personal feats, do you have one, you know, obviously the hand maybe being a limiting factor for some of this. Do you have a specific feat in mind that you're kind of, that's next on your list that would be a priority? Yeah, uh, the main priority right now is blobs, the legacy okay. blobs. So and that'd be a 145 or a one, you know, working your way up to a 145 or 150. Yep. So I had done double blobzilla before. I wanted to get that again. I got that. I have done the 140, the blob father before. And I've, I've done that. So I'm working, I have not done the half 145, the Gigantor blob 
and I have not done – I've broken the Gigantor blob off the ground ever so slightly, but I haven't lifted it. Um, and then the, the 150. So right now that is my main objective since it doesn't cause me uh, any issues. And then I would like to do a double um, – Two fifty fives, two twenty five kilo pinch, yeah, and then um, yeah. I would like to uh, do the inch clean and press. Okay. So um, I'm right now. I'm only training it right handed, and I've I've cleaned the inch left handed many times, but I've only done the right hand like maybe once. So uh, it's not it's not there yet, but though though that's what I've got my eyes set on right okay. now as far as feats. Optimally, you know, before I give it all up, I want to close a number four with a with a like a block set. Okay. But that's yeah. that's not in the cards right now, dude. I can't even do yeah. it like nationals right now. Okay. So, um you know and for some reason my freaking hand keeps tearing here in my palm. And uh like I had to skip grippers this week because I, I couldn't train them. It was it was cracking in my hand. And that's that's never happened. I don't even know what that's what's what that's from. I guess I'm just being a little bitch. <laughs> so th- those would kind of cover your feats or just things that are on your agenda coming up. Yeah. Um I think this is interesting here. Um, because that's stuff that includes like your own personal goals. Um where you know we all have kind of the goals that we're shooting for, but with you also, you know, having clients, coaching, running your own gym, running your own grip site, stuff like that. Um, you kind of, or your own grip organization, right? Because I mean, technically, uh, if, we, if we break down like, uh, I guess, Grip Sport International, is, is there a board? Is it basically just Jed Johnson? What, uh, like, what, no. what, what exactly is the story with that? Just you can count me as the figurehead. Um, Eric okay. Hussein is extremely important. Um, I, if someone asks me a question, I try not to even answer it until I've consulted with him. Yeah. Um, he was on the board for, uh, North American grip sport and GSI for yeah. years. Um, he got frustrated with the process. Quite frankly, I think everybody got frustrated with the process because the process simply wasn't good. Um, so he and the other people that were involved dropped off, um, and uh, so, so right now it's, he's not involved in any kind of discussion because there is no discussion, right? Mm-hmm. But he and I kind of consult, we kind of keep things going in the right direction. Um, and then uh, Josh Culpepper has also volunteered to help us with some data analysis. Um, for, so for instance, if you look on the grip board at the the qualifications to <clears throat> be considered for, for nationals, the, those are very dated. I mean, I think like one hand deadlift is on there. Nope. Nobody does that. Right. There's, there's stuff yeah. on there that's like adjustable thick bar. Nobody does that stuff. So um, we're in the process right now of restructuring that. And he's going to play a big part in the data analysis. He, okay. I forget, it might be AutoCAD or something, but he is able to pull the data out of the top 100 lists and analyze it based on overall and by weight class. So we're going to have some more information coming out on that, but it's going to take some time to go through all that data. So, you know, and then, um, you know, we also have a, this was a recent development. 
which really nobody knows about, but there's a, a core group of people that are included in this email uh, conversation regarding certain controversial controversial topics. Uh, the last one was bracing. There's a certain individual that has put up training footage, never competed in a contest, but he's put up training footage and people are afraid that he's going to try to brace the implements um, against his crotch, thigh, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it. Um, and now, would that would that be against his lateral thigh? No, that would not be lateral thigh. That would be medial thigh. Okay, just, just had to just, check. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's been there's been uh, less than a handful of mm-hmm. bracers. We will call them. Um, the one guy is not a competitor. The other two guys, well, one guy has never done a contest and has no intention of doing a contest. The other guy has intentions of doing a contest. The other dude, the third dude has done contests. Mm -hmm. Um, these are the, probably the three most famous bracers, but here's the problem with that. These people put out videos. These people get recognition for feats and the layman, the new entrant, the uh, the the inexperienced uneducated lifter sees this and they think it's okay and then you see other new guys or gals performing this medial bracing medial thigh bracing in their lifts so you yeah. know and it's been addressed and in all three cases the person has responded completely differently so it's just you know, I look at it as someone that's been doing this for 20 years as a problem that could not get out of control, but could become more, more prominent, more yeah. take place more often. And, and it is an issue. I mean, I was not the one that created this uh, email conversation about this one individual. Um, however, I have addressed it to the individual in the past immediately upon seeing it. And I've addressed it to the person who I believe is running the King Kong venue that this person is planning on attending. So the way we left it was it's really up to the promoter to witness it and make the call. It's just like down calls yeah. and arm lifting. Like mm-hmm. the judge has to have the fortitude to say that's no lift you didn't lock it out or that was braced against your thigh you know mm-hmm. that's that's where the weight is on the shoulders of the promoter and you know it's it's been addressed as as well as we can okay um where i was going to go with um talking about you kind of running an organization um having your own gym having your own store, basically like, you know, completing the diesel store or as one of the things you have on here. Um, All these things, I find that, uh, you know, not only, you know, most people I get have goals for themselves, but you have goals down here that kind of um, are for other people as well, because you have down here that you would like to coach a U.S. grip champion. Yeah. So that would be, you know, a goal that you've set for yourself as a coach. I found that interesting because like I said, usually we're only focusing on ourselves. That's you, you know, as a grip coach. Um, The other thing on here, back to kind of like an organization style thing is uh, trying to get at least 10 women or more at the North American uh, championship, you know, basically from a promotional side. So you, you have like, you know, your own goals, but then you also have goals that are kind of uh, more 
I guess, as a figurehead that you're trying to do for the organization. And then you also have things that, you know, you're coaching people within this organization. So you're very hands-on in a lot of things, but I find it interesting that you don't just have like, Oh, well, these are the things I'm doing. And then, you know, it's like your own personal lifts match up with, you know, you have coaching goals, you have goals for the organization, you have goals for yourself. And um, that, that was just something I wanted to touch on um, because I haven't had a lot of guests that have goals for other people. Mm-hmm. They have their goals and that's kind of what we cover. Yeah. Um, now, since you brought it up, um, I would like to just discuss a couple of things. Cause like I said, we've been rolling pretty good, you know, like we're, we're decent amount of time, but we have a few subjects that we haven't really dove into that we have to get to before we would shut it down. Um, so you have lifted the 140 legacy. Yes. Blob, which is the blob father. Um, yes. Brian Shaw, to my knowledge, is the only person who's lifted the Gigantor Blob 145 Legacy and the Shaw Blob, which he named, you know, lifting the 150. Mm -hmm. Now, with that being said, that would basically put Brian Shaw as the only person that we can credit as lifting a bigger blob than you. Yes. And you've lifted dumbbells up to 200 pounds, inch-style dumbbells up to 200-pound bells. Roughly? Yes. The uh, and that 200 be- that I have only weighs like 197 or 198, but it's marked 200. A little short, yeah. It, it, yes. It's, it's, it's similar to the one I have. Um, but uh, where I'm going with that is recently at the Shaw Classic, um, they did their uh, inch dumbbell ladder and a blob ladder. Um, it's weird to me that I, – I, it's, it's weird and it's not weird, but like you would think that – if Brian is the only one and Brian's not competing in this grip thing, he's, you know, he won the shot classic. He's doing yeah. the actual strongman events, but for the grip side of things, you would think that you would at least get an invite or a mention considering that Brian's the only person who's lifted a bigger blob than you. And this is my personal opinion, Jed, you can freak out on me if you want. I don't think you would have won the inch dumbbell medley. I'm not saying I, I'm, I'm not saying I would count you out of placing. Well, I think you would place well, but I don't know that um, maybe a two ten or up or as they get close. You know, I, I I don't know, especially all in succession. Yeah. Um. But I definitely think that. So, like I said, from an inch bell thing, I think you place well, but I don't know that you come out on top of that event. Mm-hmm. But I would be much more confident, and this is just Zach's opinion. I'm much more confident to say that you could pretty much lift a blobzilla, and I think that's what most people pretty much topped out at you could lift a blobzilla any time of day doesn't matter. So, you know, like almost any conditions. So I think that is an event that you could have really won. And considering the 20 plus years of you kind of being a figurehead or you being involved in the evolution of grip sport, you have a book about lifting the blob where you have, you know, you have Richard Soren like writes the forward for it, right? Mm-hmm. Richard mm-hmm. Soren writes the forward for your book, Lift the Blob. That's who invented the blob, right? You've had interactions with Richard Soren where he's watched you discuss your blob techniques or other things. And he said that he's learned, you know, you know, learned from basically watching you discuss this stuff. What I'm getting at is if there's anybody who could be considered a blob expert or someone who has been a staple in grip for two decades, it would be you. So I think it was, uh, like, my, like I said, in my opinion, maybe it doesn't matter too much, but 
Um, I think not asking you to be in that competition is kind of insane. And uh, I think it kind of cheated the people of seeing one of the better blob lifters actually, you know, and, and it's not like, oh, this guy's just a, a freak that showed up last week. Yeah, It'd be different if it was just some guy with giant hands who was strong and he showed up last week. Oh, he, he's strong. Okay, so what? Well, this is not only a guy that's that strong, but he's poured a lot of heart and soul into this sport. I'm talking about you. And you've, you've poured a lot of heart and soul into this sport and been a big part of it. So to see you get left out of that was interesting to me. Um, do you have a take on that? Because I'm sure if asked, you would have loved to have been there and lifted. Yes, uh, absolutely. I, you know, we've seen the videos of Brian Shaw's blob, blob runs, blob medleys, mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. whatever he calls it. And from day one, I, I knew I could get to the 130, um, you know, as long as it's, you know, decently seasoned. You're right. Basically any day I can lift my blobzilla. Um, mm-hmm. I first did a double blobzilla dude in like 2017 or something like that with uh i borrowed paul knight's blob for a while and now the ones that i'm the one that i'm using is uh one that uh luke got a hold of um here's 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 the thing i i asked the guy that as far as the information i've received the guy that uh organized the competitors to come to that contest was Joel Dirks. And after I didn't want to, you know, when was that contest announced? January? Something like that. I mean, Evan, Evan had tickets to go there for months. Okay. Yeah. The guy that I train body training with, and he comes mm-hmm. and does every grip contest that I have here was already planning on going to the Shaw Classic. So it would have been a vacation for us to go to the Shaw Classic together. I, w- yeah. I was definitely expecting an invite, um, and then it wasn't coming. It wasn't coming. I included blob work in my training, thinking, well, maybe it just hasn't come yet, and I got to be ready when it does. Um, the injury took place, but that's to my left hand. You know, I I can still do plenty of blobs left-handed. That's even single-hand lift. Yeah. Or so, I could have run, I don't know how many blobs are in that run. Let's say 20. I could have done the first like 15 left-handed. Um, something happened where Joel put a feet up and the inch dumbbell was resting on his leg. This was very shortly after the rolling thunder certification that took place where the rolling thunder was pinned against the dude's leg. This was right after the other dude was pinning every single thing against his leg that he was lifting. So I made a comment on the video and event. I replicated, I probably, I would say I exceeded the difficulty level of the feat that Joel did. And I, it took me several weeks to do it, but I ended up getting it. It was probably like, 50 attempts that I took in order to get it, but I ended up, ended up doing it. And, well, and, and, and there, I was going to say, there's a difference between like lifting. Uh, we're talking a half 100 blob. So if we, mm-hmm. if we say sub sub 100 blobs, and then we talk about introducing a blobzilla. 
yeah into the mix i mean you you had a blobzilla in your chain of three blobs that you lifted yes. for that so that's i uh, believe it was blobzilla fat man blob and next, next gen. gen blob yeah which would i you know that's that, that's not up for debate that would be exceeding yeah it's so just, just for context. right so and i don't know but i don't know what Joel did. So, but the, the point of the matter is he picked the inch dumbbell up and rested it on his leg so that it could not possibly fall out of his leg. What I did is I picked it up and I held it at my side, even slightly behind me. And there may have been contact with my pants, but it was not being pulled into my leg. And I went Blobzilla, Fat Man, Next Gen. And I did all three without setting the inch dumbbell down. There were countless times where I dropped the inch as I was doing the next gen. I might have failed the next gen, but never dropped the inch. It was over and over and over. So eventually there was a comment made. Let's not use passive mood. Eventually I made a comment on Facebook and Joel saw it and said, you've got a problem or you should go see a psychiatrist or something like that. And this was all before the Shaw Classic was even the the Shaw Classic grip contest was even taking place. Um, and I feel that I was left out of that grip contest because of the personal issue with Joel. I asked him after the competition was over because I didn't want to bug him. I know what it's like to run a contest. I know what it's like to be the person that makes the decisions. I know what it's like. I I figured he was doing the competition. Out of professional courtesy, I did not ask him for an invite or about the selection process until after the competition was done and I got crickets back. Yeah. So I feel that it was a personal issue. He took exception to my remarks and – I guess the lesson that everybody needs to learn, including myself, is there are repercussions to things that you say online, um, whether it be email, Instagram, Facebook, whatever the case, TikTok, which I don't fucking use. Um, but there are repercussions. And my willingness to speak my mind through a comment, which it was – but it's braced on your thigh. Yeah. The inch is braced on your thigh, dude, or something like that. Like that was all the comment that was made. And then there, you know, the medial mania, that was about the rolling thunder lift. Yeah. But I made, yes, I continued to make comments about bracing because bracing, frankly, is fucking bullshit. Well, like, it's, and, and yeah, and like I said, and I think I had this discussion with someone else where it's like, it only takes a handful of, you know, I don't know, three or four strong people to come along, brace or whatever, or three or four incompetent judges to pass certain lifts. And you can basically erase years and years of history Yeah, from a competition perspective. Now, if you're just doing a feat in your garage or whatever, okay, you can fool people that don't know anything about the yeah. sport. That, that That's whatever. You can do whatever you want for attention. But, that, a lot of that that kind of thing right there, Zach, yeah. is why we no longer do photographic evidence for feats on the grip board. Because yeah. you can't always tell if it's braced. And quite frankly, anybody, there could be people on lists that just picked it up with two hands, took their hand off, and then timed a picture just right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, or maybe it was braced against your thigh and we couldn't tell. I mean – 
you're right. It, it, it takes the legitimacy completely out of it. So, I mean, if that's, if it's wrong of me to call people out, then I'm wrong, but I don't see anything wrong with it. I would expect people to call me out and people have called me out. And when it's legit, like I'll give you an example. Um, I used to be, I used to add weight to the blob with boot strings. I would tie boot strings to the, I know, I know, I know where you're going with it, but yeah, yeah, keep going to the 10 pound plates. So what I was doing was I, I would, I would leave a lot of boot string mm-hmm. over the blob. So I would pick the blob up six, eight inches before the weights would come off the floor. It never occurred to me that I was getting this tremendous momentum boost out of it. I just thought I was lifting the blob plus 20 pounds. Yeah. And I forget who it was, but they called me out on that. And I was like, wow, that's a really, that's a really good point. You're right. So I shortened the bootstrings and I lifted it blob plus 20 pounds yeah, with the and, shorter. And that way all the weight is breaking the floor at the same time. At the same time. Which, which is much different than you kind of getting that running start with some slack. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. there's been other times I've been called out for shit that didn't, was not fucking true. And I pushed right back against the people and I, I stood up for myself. So, um, you know, there's a time and place for calling people out on stuff. And I expect to be called out just as much as I would call people out. And because I've been doing this for 20 years, I mean, I was the sole, I was the sole feet judge on the grip board for years. I was the person they sent the videos to. I watched the videos and I either gave them credit or not. And I had to, I, the, one of the lightest people to ever lift the blob is Bob Sundin. And I mm-hmm. had to tell him no, because he lifted the blob and it hit his sweatpants and he did not lock it out all the way. And I said, no, you, it doesn't count. You didn't lock it out. So what did Bob do? He continued to train it until he got it to lock out. But yeah. like the heat that I caught from people who were looking up to him for his, thick bar prowess and his friends and stuff like that. Like I lost friends for a while because of that. So, yeah. you know, unfortunately this is a situation where I, I assume I was not selected for a contest because of an interaction I had with that person. And I would not go back and and change anything about it because I feel I was in the right. Maybe I could have done it a little bit different way, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't hit the rewind button and, and go back and do yeah. it. I have no problem with what I did. No, it, it totally makes sense. I just, like I said, you were talking about future goals being a 145 and a 150 legacy, uh, you know, and then you start thinking like, well, who's lifted above that? Oh, nobody but Brian Shaw. Oh, there's a blob ladder at the Shaw Classic? Huh, well, why isn't that guy there? So um, yeah. it's it, it, something that just had to kind of be mentioned um, because like I it said, was, connecting- It was disappointing you know, as it is, I had other stuff going on that weekend. Um, I've, I've been dealing with an injury. I wouldn't, if I would have gone, I probably wouldn't have performed at the level that I would have liked to, but Evan was already going. I would have, yeah. would have made the purchase. I would have, I would have bought the tickets. I would have yeah. missed the training time here, which I hate missing any training time here. Like yeah. I, I change the schedule around here for my clients all the time at my detriment. 
And I don't care because I hate missing sessions because once or twice every year, I'm going to get sick or I'm going to have the shits and I can't run the class. So when it's something personal like that, I move the classes around. It's, it's, it's really important to me to provide the service that I'm supposed to. So I would have, I would have done that for that contest. Gotcha. Um, so now, um, if I just break into, like I said, I always do like a questions for me. And like a lot of times people will have the questions they want to ask me, but you might not have the sheet out in front of you. Um, but I still have the questions here. Um, one of the things, and we'll just kind of stick along, uh, this same subject, um, because your one of your questions for me is what do other grip uh, what do other uh, grip competitors do that makes you sick to your stomach? Yeah. Um, so uh, you say competitors. Now I I could extend that out to just people that are in the grip world, including yeah. social media people. Um, if yeah. I say competitors, there aren't too many people. Uh, real quick, okay. Just to, just to go on a, a slight rant on this one. One that will kill me is. Uh, and everybody's different, so you can't say much about it, or you you can only control it so much. But there are certain lifts where chalk helps. There are certain lifts that do not need any chalk at all. Mm-hmm. So when there is something that is relying on friction or, you know, no chalk is needed to make this optimal or tiny, tiny amounts, yeah, and you see a new lifter run up and just take a block of chalk and start scraping it on the handle or something, and you're like, "Whoa!" Like, I, you know, like, what are we gonna do? Like, I'm gonna wipe that off every time, and then you, I get, I mean, it's your right, you can do it, but it's like, come on, it. So that's one that uh, has bugged me. Where like, I, I mean, even doing like the arm lifting USA competitions I've done um, in the past with uh, like the blue fat grips. Fat grips are kind of like a rubber handle. Yeah, you don't really need a whole. You don't need chalk. Maybe just to kind of keep your hands dry or to where they kind of stick. And yeah. I've been in competitions where I mean, people were just scraping blocks of chalk on top of it to where I mean, it was like powder. You might as well pour baby powder on the fat grips. And I'm like, what yeah. are you doing? Like every time. So, um, that's one. I guess is when somebody that like I do not mind competitors adjusting the texture, but there's a difference between adjusting the texture to yourself and completely ruining it for everybody else. Yeah, because really a lot of lifts, if you if you take the block and apply it to the implement, you are ruining it. You you are <laughs> making it harder for yourself. I, I just, it blows my mind too, bro. So that, that that is one that first comes to mind when I say, you know, strictly strictly competition or strictly competitor. Um, now, if I talk non-competition, oh, there's there's way more things online that, that bug me. Um, and if I were to break down one thing, and I think this will this will carry over for a lot of different people is I'm not saying it's not good to shoot for some of these bigger names in grip or try to do the things that they do or try to top them. Like, of course, I'd love to outlift you. Of course, I'd love to outlift, you know, X, Y, Z person before me or above me. Yeah. But um, if you do happen to outlift somebody that I guess would be like well-known in the grip world or grip famous i guess you could say i mean not that anybody's super famous but people know what i mean uh the thing that i would like people to remember is that certain athlete or that well-known person's whole body of work it would be the equivalent of like maybe somebody talks shit to you because they can close a bigger gripper than you Mm mm-hmm 
but they're not doing double Blobzilla. They're not cleaning Blobzilla. They're not picking up a 200 pound inch bell. They're not doing 800 other things that you did. Like that one thing is not what makes Jed Johnson, Jed Johnson. Mm -hmm. So what bugs me is like, and I'll use an example is like, you know, I interviewed Adam glass. Yeah. Adam did his whole pinch lever where he flips backwards. Yes. Right. Okay. You know, so it's, it's a cool feat, whatever. You know, I haven't seen anybody replicate it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've seen a video of anyone replicate it that I know. Now there might be climbers or other people that maybe that's a more routine move for them. Maybe that's something that they can just do and they don't deem it as that important. Well, I get somebody in the comments that says, you know, Oh, I've done that. And I'm just kind of like, okay. I mean, but like, it's like, well, what do you want me to do to that? Like, okay, cool. Uh, shoot me a video. Like, you know, like I don't go to every single person's page that lifts the inch dumbbell and be like, I did that. Like, you know, you're not running around to everybody that, you know, lifted Blobzilla and you're not, mm-hmm. I don't go down in the comments and there's Jed Johnson saying, I did this. It's like, right. it, it doesn't have to be about you. So I think there's a lot of attention seeking behavior online that gets weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my only thought process while I was trying to like, I guess, understand the the reasoning behind a comment like that is saying like, oh, I did that. It's like, okay, well, you clearly want to draw attention to yourself, but it's like, let's just say, you know, the reason I'm interviewing Adam Glass isn't just because he did a pinch lever. Can you do a thumbless to thumbless transfer with the inch? Have you ever held 470 pounds in your hand with an axle? Have you ever picked up two 200 pound inch dumbbells? Like what I'm getting at is if I go down the list, have you reverse bent a red nail? I could go on for 10 fucking years. And it's like the one box you checked is doing a fucking back pinch lever. And you, and you felt the need to announce that on Adam Glass's interview or or, or underneath a promo for it. Cool. I mean, so that's something that bugs me when, somebody that like i said like adam who has a body of work like that or someone like you that has a body of work it would be like i don't know outlifting lane snook on uh the hub or something and then like hey i I did more than him it's like dude i don't think anyone cares yeah like you know the reason i'm talking to adam is not because he just did the back lever the reason i'm talking to you isn't because you closed a number three or something like there's so much more beyond that. So that that's one that I find funny is when yeah. people try to, uh, I don't know, sort of clip, clip at the big dogs, but they don't put it in context where it's like, well, okay, you're going to name the one thing that you matched them on. You're going to name the two things, you know, you're going to name that one time you beat them in a competition, but are you going to like bring up the other 99 things that you'll never do in your lifetime? Um, so that's just something, I guess maybe that strikes me a little odd with people. Yeah. When it comes to, uh, I guess trying to one up somebody or always trying to put your name in in the mix is like, uh, if you are that strong and you are that good, then other people will talk about you and you won't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's how I break it down. And, and that goes for anything in life. Um, if you're the only person that's telling me how tough you are, you're probably not very tough. If you're the only person that's posting around how strong you are, you're probably not, yeah. you know, n- n- uh, Carl Myersko never had to message me and tell me he was strong. 
Adam Glass didn't have to like reach out and email me and be like, Hey Zach, I'm strong. Like you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's a funny, it's funny, but like, it's a true thing. So it's like these people that I guess crave that attention. They want that acceptance so bad that they're going to throw that out there. It's like, just keep your head down and keep training. And if you're good, you're good. If you're Mm -hmm. strong, you're strong and your, your work will speak for itself. But yeah, just, you know, create a body of work before you start trying to uh, act like you're, I don't know, 20, I, t- I don't know. You get what I, I totally saying. agree. So I didn't see the comment that you're talking about. I didn't, I didn't catch that. Was it also like a no name person or was it actual, actually a name? And if you click on the person's name, does it go to a channel that actually has content on it? Um, it would, it would be Instagram and it would be somebody that's newer to the sport. And it is somebody that does possess good grip strength. But once again, it's it's not Adam Glass grip strength. Yeah, it's not twenty years in the game. The, so the reason I ask is like I'll put a video up. Let's say yeah. maybe it's a fifteen year old video of me closing a three. Like, oh, I I'm only sixteen. I can do that twenty times. <laughs> and then, you, <laughs> then you click on the YouTube and it's uh um like a blank page or there's video games you know, screen screen recordings, you know. Yeah, that that usually happens. So, so no, this, this is somebody that actually possesses good grip potential and uh, has good grip strength. But I, like I said, I don't like just another funny example. Like if if you want to, if you want me to pretend that I'm that way, when I did my first year of grip competitions, right. Um, this would have been when Adam screwed up his finger and, uh, you know, had that bad cut on his finger where the strap set up on that inch dumbbell lift, like peeled his whole skin off. So he basically did a stage of the super series one handed. Mm -hmm. So I have no delusions about this, but this is where I could like, if I, if I had that mentality, I could literally say, well, in my first year of grip, I beat Adam glass on the pinch block. Yeah, that's true. But like, did he also outlift me on the blue fat grips by like 120 pounds? Probably. <laughs> so like, I'm not, I'm not talking shit. Like I understand, I understand my place. So I'm not trying to cherry pick. I'm not trying to cherry pick that one thing where I could be like, Oh, well I could hub lift more than Jed Johnson, you know, or something like weird. It's like, I don't like these guys that try to cherry pick and uh kind of steer a narrative or introduce themselves in these situations. And, uh, it's at the expense of somebody that has, like I said, a, a much greater body of work. And it's like, like, I know I'm going on a tangent with this, but this is like a question you asked me. And I, yeah. I, I just got to like roll with it. Um, I like it when you go on tangents. So well, I wanted to put something on there. Um, where we'd, we'd get a good Zach tangent. Well, th- this, this will be it because you have to understand like, and, and like you said, playing college baseball, doing uh strongman lifting, you have a whole other life outside of grip. So I, I'm not saying some of these other people don't have lives. Okay. So I'm, I'm not saying, you know, that some of these people that I maybe, maybe I'm discussing don't have a life or other hobbies or other things, but like, you have to understand that from a young age, I pretty much played three sports, basketball, baseball, football. So I've done that. I've, I've weightlifted over half my life. I got into the grappling and MMA stuff in like 2009. I'm 32 years old. I have been pretty much fighting or at a like pro fight level in pro fight camps, working with people for 
14 years. So if you outlift me on a pinch block by three pounds, it's, it's not like I don't place every bit of myself uh, self-worth on grip or what I lift on a certain grip piece. So that's what I mean. Like with the whole, like, Oh, well you, you did what Adam did or, Oh, I can do what Jed can do, or I can do what that guy did. It's like, maybe that's not what makes him him because there's plenty of, there's plenty of people on the grip community right now listening that, yeah, there's hundred dudes that can outlift me in a lot of stuff. I mean, I just went to my own competition and placed eighth. I can handle that. It's not a big deal. That's mm-hmm. part of competing. That's part of putting it on the line. Yeah. You know, better day. Maybe I end up in fifth. Yeah. Didn't that day ended up in eighth. It happens. So um, I would just like to remind people when it comes to these, like, you know, throwing your name in the hat or always wanting your name in the mix or always wanting credit for outlifting somebody or matching someone else's feet is that like, that's cool if you care about it, but like, you have to understand that like, yeah, I can lift an inch with a can on it or two cans on it or stack two cans on top of it. I've lifted up to like a 125 legacy. I'm not, I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back with these feats. I'm just saying stuff I've done, but it's like, if you take the upper end of all my feats, I don't care if you top that, if you have like zero athletic ability, if you trip over your own feet, if you can't fight, if you can't grapple, if you if you can't do the 500 other things that I do, then I'm not really going to be heartbroken if you lift a bigger blob than me or you pick up a bigger bell than me. Yeah. Because that one lift is not what makes me me. Right. I have my own story. These other people have their own story. You have your own story. So like I said, it's, it's a bit of a rant, but that's just something that bugs me is when people kind of hang their hat on defeating one person or defeating somebody in one lane. Yeah. And it's like, well, what, you know, like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of grip guys that could be world's strongest men type competitors, but are you going to go move Atlas stones with them or your, is your back going to snap in half and you're mm. going to, you know, you're going to fall over. Like, it's just kind of like be humble, you know, like if, if you're, if you do win something or you do shoot for something, that's cool. Have a goal. But when it starts to become kind of a, I don't know, an ego thing or um, attention seeking behavior, or it just seems like maybe the comments a little bit out of place just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So like I said, that, that would just be one little mini tangent there is that like, yeah, I don't get me wrong. I love grip. I love competing, but if you walk up and pull a bigger Saxon bar than me, it's not like, Oh my god all i've ever done in my life is grip it's the only skill i have it's all i have and god you beat me at it i'm i'm deflated yeah it's like no it's like well you know i have 10 other things i can do like do you even know how to throw a baseball can you catch can you you know what i'm saying is there's just other skills that go into life to where it's like uh i don't put my whole identity into grip even Mm -hmm. though i i really do love it and it is something i'm pursuing very strongly so i'll i'll quit going down that lane but that would be something that uh uh, competitors rubbing chalk all over stuff. And then on the backside of that is just some of the approach of lifters online with the commenting and the the timing in the place. I just think that there's a level of respect. And like, like I said, when you look at the top guys, they're not doing that. I don't see you, Adam, Carl, uh, whoever else. I, I don't see you guys running in the, you know, it's like follow the blueprint or, you know, what do the best guys do? What's a pro do? What, what do the veterans do? Mm-hmm. You can kind of see that, you know, it's been laid out. So I, anytime I start seeing certain behaviors that don't line up with, and I'm not saying everybody has to be the same, but there's certain like 
similarities and like a moral code that kind of, I don't know. There's patterns that can be picked up on what the best guys do. And Mm -hmm. a lot of these people come up with stuff that it ain't how the best guys act. And they think that's where they're going. And uh, I don't know. You know, I I just don't think so. If you're displaying that behavior early on, you're probably not going to be very great at anything. So that's, that's my end of my rant on that one. Um, Another one you have is uh, how do you feel when you see a lifter clearly bracing an implement against their thigh? Um, And it goes to that same thing. And I think I've explained this slightly in some other episodes. Um, Yeah. Like the whole point of displaying your grip strength is that you hold something. Mm -hmm. You have to hold that object, that implement. It has to be held in your hand. That's your grip. Yeah. If you put it against your leg, rest it on your leg, touch it with your other hand and it becomes a two hand lift or a two hand assisted lift. Like, then it's not really a feat of grip strength or it's not really a legitimate lift because you're not holding it. So that that's, I mean, that's just how I feel about it. Plain and simple. It's like, if you can't hold it without that extra support or you can't do it without it being an assisted lift. Now that could be a good training method, but if you're claiming, hey, like, yeah, yeah, that's, and that's a good point right there. I'm like, is this guy, is this guy doing a training lift? Yeah. And, but I, I think honestly, the case I was talking about, the dude was just in denial with the the pinch block and stuff like that. <laughs> it, it can be hard to tell, and a lot of times it would be good in that sense to like, I don't know, maybe if you're the lifter or, and like I said, I don't even care half the time. Like I'm, I'm not analyzing everybody's lifts. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it would be good to like, I don't know. Usually, you can tell when someone's doing assisted lifts. You'll see them, you know, put their finger on the inch or the, on a blob or they're they're lifting off a cushion. You can usually tell when somebody's doing it, but yeah, I see a lot of guys that they'll pin the bell to their body and call it a timed hold. They'll mm-hmm. pin the bell to their body and do a combo. And I talked about this in an earlier episode where I was like, well, you might as well just pick the bell up, drop it, and then move to the next thing, almost like a medley. Because I mean, it's the second it starts resting on your body, you're no longer holding it. So yeah, that level of impressiveness or that, factors now been removed almost so it's like yeah. i don't know yeah, you know yeah. i'm i'm even forget like if you're doing so there's a feat that i did back in the day where i uh i picked an inch dumbbell up and i did a forward flip and catch with a 95 pound kettlebell mm-hmm. and if i look back at that right now I, I think that that inch was like actually in contact almost with my ass or my hamstring because it ends yeah. up coming behind yeah but like it wasn't propped on top of my thigh, you know, it, <laughs> like there, there's, there's a difference. There's a difference. And some things you can't avoid, like, um, you know, sometimes people on the, the napalm's nightmare, the implement will kind of graze their thigh because with the way they're standing and the implement is so mm-hmm. wide, they got to hit that six inches. But there's yeah. a big difference between it it like grazes a few fibers of your pants and you wedge it between your inner thigh. Like and then squat it up. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, man. No, yeah, that that's just an interesting topic. Um, but uh that's pretty much where I stand on it is uh if you're doing a you know you can deload stuff with bands. You can rest something on your body and then you can kind of manipulate how much of your body is helping you to work up to something, you know, an assisted method in that context. It's good. But if you're like screaming PR every other day and shit's braced on your leg, I, 
I just tune it out. It's like, no, okay. Like, no, it's not. You're not holding that. Doesn't count. Don't care. Um, so it's, it's just real easy to see. Um, but like you said, the, the average person who maybe doesn't compete or doesn't know these things, they might be mesmerized by this feat. And then there'll be like 15 people in the comment section going, yeah, man, that's awesome. Congrats. And no one, (laughs) and no one will do what you did where you said, you know, Hey, maybe I, you know, Maybe I could have handled it different, but I I chose to say something like this. But yeah, I think it's a. I would rather be called out if I was doing some suspect stuff or something that oh, yeah. wasn't uh, something that wasn't credible. I would much rather be called out and correct it and improve myself than uh, just have a cheerleading section in my comments that signs off on me basically faking stuff or uh, not being able to do stuff and pretending I am. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that like I said, that's that would be most of what I would have to say on that subject. Um, and like I said, I, I don't want to get too crazy on some of those topics, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a lift that I could probably tie Carl on if we go down the list of a hundred things that, you know, handles they make, but am I going to be down in the comment section talking about it? Well, no, that, that brings never. up a good point. Like, like people, people have asked me multiple times who would win between me and Brian Shaw in a grip contest. <laughs> And I say, I think if we had the right events, I could probably beat them. Yeah. Like, because there's stuff that I've trained for decades, i.e. the Euro pinch. And like, I think I could beat him if, because he's had no experience with it. He doesn't know what width he's on. You know, he doesn't know what width to do to maximize his pinch. So that right there could give me the advantage. I don't, I don't know. But I think, like you just said, with the right events, you could beat Carl. I think with the right events, well, I, could I, I was going to say, I wasn't going to say right events, I could beat Carl. I'm saying if you go down like a hundred handles that are made, I might be able to find one that I could beat him on. Mm-hmm. Not a not a whole event lineup, <laughs> just one handle. But what I'm saying yeah. is, is if we're being that specific, like one out of a hundred handles, I could possibly get Carl on. Mm-hmm. I'm not in his comment section or in the, another person's comment section that reposted it going, well, I can do that. <laughs> like, yeah. What, yeah. What, what's that? You know, I don't, it's just odd behavior to me. So yeah. that's one of the things you say that kind of, uh, I don't know if it makes me sick to my stomach. It's just, I don't understand it and it confuses me. Yeah. So um, I had, I had Phil Fister at my house. I put him on the two hand pinch. I beat him on two hand pinch, but yeah, then, that, that, that's, uh, that's where strongest time you ever man. saw it. Yeah, he won yeah. World's Strongest Man in 2006. So, like, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> but, like, if you, you got to keep it in reality-based, man. Yeah. Like, that dude didn't know what he was doing. You know, yeah. he also couldn't swing my demolition club, which weighs 89 pounds. But he's never swung a club before. You know, yeah. he smoked me on the log press and the tire flip that day. <laughs> yeah. I, so, I just think it's funny when, when people have a weird – way that they're seeking attention but they're very selective at how they put that attention uh, yeah. i don't know it's just it's just funny to me um yeah. another question you had jed for me was uh what made me get into combat sports man um i'll try to make this one short uh i think my dad maybe had like some real some of the really old like tournament style like back in 93 94 now this isn't when i was watching it i was older but i'm saying that's the era these fights were from the first ufc's like, like 93 94 yeah, I have, the, uh, I have like the first 10 tapes. Yeah, so it's something like that, but it was on like a VHS and I, I got to see some of those and like, man, I I, I, I loved watching uh, Mike Tyson fight, you know, and see like Mike Tyson documentaries or watch some of those old fights on like ESPN classics and, you know, stuff like that. So I, I kind of liked 
that stuff or when I saw it, I kind of thought it was cool, but, uh, I don't know. The, the more you get into, uh, and, and like I said, being somebody that played multiple sports as well, you get it. But, uh, you know, what happens when someone hits you with a baseball? Oh, we charge the mound. Uh, what happens when <laughs> you, 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 you know what I mean? Everything kind of resorts to a fight in, mm-hmm. in some, st- it's kind of like the ultimate form of competition. And that's not necessarily what I thought when I was younger, but over time it kind of developed, but it's kind of like, you know, what happens when you get pissed off during football or someone's talking trash, they fight. What happens when you get hit with a baseball, you charge the mound, the bench is clear. What happens in basketball? Someone fouls you too hard. You fight. It's like, nobody's like, Oh, you just kicked my ass in a fight. Let's go play tennis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, so short, I guess short of like going to war or fighting to the death, it's kind of like fighting is that like primal, like ultimate form of competition. Sure. Yep. So I guess that's one thing that kind of attracted me to it because it's kind of like, if you can, if you can kind of master that, or if you can become experienced in that, it makes anything else you do in life or any other sport competition or endeavor, it yeah. makes it, uh, there's a lot less pressure and it makes it a lot easier to handle. Yeah. So um, it's, it's kind of just something that, you know, uh, and also you, you don't want to be in a situation where you feel like you can't control it. Where, I mean, you know, like for me growing up, I mean, you never wanted to be, I mean, everybody at some point in time probably got bullied or had somebody that was just two to three years older than them and they couldn't do anything about it, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, picking on them or doing something, whatever. So by acquiring those skills or learning that kind of stuff, you kind of, erase all that and put yourself in a position to where you have the confidence, you have the skill, you you're pretty much equipped for almost anything that life can throw at you. And that kind of becomes a pretty good benefit to have, whether that's down the road, you're keeping your family safe or you're just protecting yourself. Um, But like I said, it it did changed over the years, I guess, as to why I liked it or what my justification was for it. You know, first, Oh, I saw that. Oh, that'd be cool because I watched some videos or, then it's like, well, I want to do it because maybe I'm in it for the wrong reasons, because maybe I was a dude with no training that thought I was tougher than I was. And then I got in gyms and got my ass kicked. And then, you know, it shifted to, you know, more of a pure martial artist kind of mentality to where you see these actual like life benefits and it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, that, that that was really the biggest thing is just, there's nothing worse than being in a situation where you're vulnerable you you don't have the skill, you don't have the physical means, you don't, don't have the knowledge and somebody else does, or, you know, or they're going to, you know, do something. So it's like, like I said, and that might, and for most people that might be, like I said, getting bullied when they grow up. Now I'm not saying I got bullied. I never really got bullied um, growing up. So that's not why, but for most people, that example I'm using would probably be like them getting bullied. Right. You know, yeah. Hey, when, when that, when that big person did something to you and you just could not do anything about it, that level of like feeling you joined is, Cobra Kai. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that feeling is worse than going to the gym and putting in the time and effort and uh, learning how to do the stuff and, you know, whatever, gaining the discipline. Cool. So yeah, I, I guess in a roundabout way, like I said, it, it's, it's more about the life skills and uh, all the positives I mentioned, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But yeah, early on, just saw fights, kind of fascinated with it. Like I said, you lose in any other sport. What do you do? You want to fight. <laughs> and it, it, it gets kind of what you resort to. So um, that that was mainly it. You got any, anything else on the 
on the top of your head any other questions or uh i don't know something funny that maybe got left out or touch on or um, i don't know man like i said it could be anything but i don't know like i think <laughs> i think one thing would be like the cool the cool thing about grip is you meet a lot of cool people the bad thing about grip is you meet a lot of people that are not that cool okay. so like there's been we don't need to talk about any names or anything, but like, you know, connivers, freeloaders, you know, they want to stay at your house. They want to invite your, themselves to your house to stay, to crash. Now I, I haven't had that happen yet. So yeah, maybe I'm, like, maybe I'm too new. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you haven't hosted, you haven't hosted that many contests, you know, True. Um. or, uh, you know that you have the people that are doing this because they really have no other option for because mm-hmm. they they couldn't do anything else as far as strength and like they it's like and don't get me wrong if there's people doing grip that have never been involved in any other strength sports I'm not saying you're bad it's just like they end up making this about their life or making their life about grip and it's mm-hmm. like they they're just i don't know if it's like they're trying to fill some hole yeah or or something you know what i mean and uh it's just it, it ends up being like a a characteristic or a you know a a personal trait that it just i i, I guess i i'm not sure i'm not sure what i'm trying to say but you know, like it's never, it's never, I don't think it's ever really been my life to do, to do grip. It became my life's passion, but like, like you said, there's so many other things and I've, I've grip has actually, now I think about ruined relationships, ruined friendships for me. Like there's people I don't talk to anymore because they got sick of inviting me to do stuff and I didn't go. So I don't get invited anymore. So like, um, and I guess along that, along those lines, I guess I'm maybe guilty of making it too important, but you know, I just always thought it was more important to go get my workout in or get my grip in so I could compete well than to go out drinking and, stuff like that all the time. But, um, you know, I don't know. I guess I lost my train of thought with the, it's just, there's some people that, um, I think I, I honestly, I think grip is an option that people can do that are no longer able to do their strength sport. Maybe they've had an injury or something, Mm -hmm. you know, bodybuilding was what I did when I could no longer throw a baseball without tremendous pain. Um, and it's, it's good in that regard. It's just sometimes like the, the people that have no background or whatever, they like the questions they ask, it's like, just do a little research, man. Like Mm -hmm. the information's out there now. There was fucking nothing. There were like five websites when I started and one of them was in like Finnish and I didn't even know what the hell they were saying, you know? So I don't know. I probably like just confused everyone that's that's watching oh no no it, i mean like i said i i think there's something that anybody could kind of take out of it but uh and i'm and i'm hey i rub people the wrong way i'm not saying that i'm i'm perfect i'm not but like 
I, I'm trying to do every everything I can to grow the sport that's within my means. I can't I can't go everywhere. I can't do everything. I can't show up and do free stuff all the time. I can't, you know, answer every question that I'm asked. It's it's impossible. And I try yeah. to for years, I tried to at least respond with a thank you or a thumbs up or something when people left a comment on my YouTube and it's like I just, I just, it's, I can't justify that time anymore. I'm trying to do other things that are going to move my business along my, um, the sport that I love along to help people out, you know? Um, so it's, I think, I think, I think grip is awesome. There's a lot of great people. Um, and, and for sure the, the, the great people outnumber the, the people that are more of a drag. So, yeah, no, man, I, I would honestly say, I mean, I'm not going to say everybody in grip so far that I've met, like, I don't know how many I've met total, but out of all the competitions or whether it be online and talking to people, um, I don't think that every single person is somebody that I'm like, yeah, man, like if you were in town, we'd be hanging out every day, yeah. mm-hmm. but I haven't met anybody that is like truly like malicious or negative in a bad way. Um, you know, I might not, I might not get along with somebody or I might not agree with some of the things they do, but I don't think I've really met like a whole lot of bad people in the grip world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really only had, uh, out of all the interactions I've had for probably the last three years, I've probably only had about two people that I've had a negative interaction with. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those things where I'm like, okay, like I, I don't know. Enough is enough. Or I don't know, maybe you just caught me on the wrong day or maybe it's like a repeat offender that did something 10 times. And you're like, (laughs) uh, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I got to say something. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, like probably 99% of the people in grip, um, yeah, are decent people. Like I said, I'm not gonna say everybody's awesome and we'd be best friends, but, um, I could totally get along with, or, you know, do competitions with and stuff like that. So, uh, I, dude, I look forward every time I run a contest to the dinner that we have afterwards. That's always such a pleasure to me to sit down for, it used to be like, let's do the contest and then do feats for three hours. And then my hands will be so freaking sore that I can't train for yeah. a week. But now I'd rather just sit down, have a beer, eat a steak, talk with Jason Dingy, Tim Butler, Chaz Strange, you know, all, all these guys that come up all the time. Vinny, you know, after nationals, we went to the winery. We hung out for hours. That was an absolute blast to me. The guy that owns the winery, he enjoyed himself talking to, um, everybody's like grip must be the most eclectic group of people that I have ever come into contact. It's pretty interesting. And I think as, I think as I interview people more and more and we get their background, through this show and stuff. I think people will start to realize that. I mean, if you really break it down and like I said, I'm just going to shoot from memory here, but you have, uh, Joe was the first episode, Joe Hodgson. So, I mean, Joe was into all kinds of stuff. He said he even did the timber sports like, uh, you know, like chopping wood and stuff. And then he surfs and he does bouldering and he's like a rock climber and then Mm -hmm. has like an awesome grip on top of it. And then Chaz is like, okay, Chaz is a dude that got more into like the grip board when he was younger and like tearing these phone books and, you know, doing grippers. And it's just, it's like a different, a whole different thing from like this guy that's surfing and doing whatever. And then, um, third episode is Ben. Ben is somebody that's like Ben Helms. He's Ben is like somebody that is like in 
to strongman training, but didn't necessarily compete a whole lot, but like had outrageous numbers and lifts sure. and like super strong. So you basically have like guys that were doing other stuff and like, not to say that Ben didn't do anything, but it's like, if you ask Ben, like, you know, well, did you power lift? And he's like, well, I, I trained power lifting. Did you do strongman? Well, I trained strongman. It's like, he didn't really compete, but like in grip he competes and it, but he like came in with a strong base. And then Luke is similar to where Luke, didn't seem like I don't know what Luke did growing up completely, but it was like jumped into grip and then this arm wrestling stuff. And then he, that kind of like, you know, he's a physical therapist and then he like changes lanes completely. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. You know, that background. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I said, and then Tim Butler, I mean, his life story and stuff that he's done. So it's like Amazing. Um, all these different characters. Um, so I think the more that we interview people, people are going to be like, man, you know, we've had former strongmen on here. We've had, you know, I mean, climbers fighters grapplers and that's the other thing too um jed real quick that i would just like to just announce to everybody also like i have full intentions to cover grip sport arm lifting grip strength sports but for these interviews also so far i pretty much stuck to our sport um i'm not opposed to interviewing like maybe somebody i know in the ufc i'm not opposed to bringing in you know, more crossover from, mm-hmm. uh, from other, other realms. Yeah. Um, maybe I bring in like a high level grappler. Maybe I bring in, uh, you know, a rock climber or you know, maybe someone who hasn't competed yet because I could kind of interview people in our own bubble. Cause of course we, we want to hear from you, Jed. We want to hear from Adam. We, you know, we want to get, you know, there's certain names. It's like on everybody's list in the grip world. That's who we want to hear from, but to kind of branch out more, and to make the show bigger or to maybe attract newer people. Yeah. Anything that relates to grip strength. I don't care if it's uh football, any sport, uh, climbing, like I said, jujitsu, I'm open. And I leave that open for these interviews to where I might not just do people that are like only grip sport, because then we kind of create our own little like echo chamber where we all just are kind of patting ourselves on the back or we're just talking to the same people. Yeah. So um, that's just something that kind of hit me. We're talking about these different guests. So in the future, I might branch out a little bit and get some different weightlifters, maybe a former power lifter, you know, uh, stuff like that. So th- yeah. those are some I ideas. That's a great idea. I think that's a great idea. The, the other yeah. thing that I would say is I, I could be wrong, but I, I never see these, these videos posted anywhere except for by the person that gets interviewed. Like we, we as a community need to do a better job of supporting one another in the growth of the sport. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. uh, sorry, it's doesn't take much to like a video and leave a comment. And that stuff is fodder for really helping a channel grow. So yeah. like every single one of these episodes that you've done should have a hundred likes. Every single one of them. There should be pages of comments below every video. Like, thanks. This is a really good video. I really see how you're developing this stuff, stuff along those lines. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't, I just, I, I don't think people understand the impact that they can have on a channel, especially like a lot of people watching these are people that have com- competed with you. Mm-hmm. Like, very friendly. So, like, do your friend a favor. It's free. 
share it on Facebook or <laughs> something like that. Like no, that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're not asking you to screen capture your favorite segment and put it up on your Instagram story. We're just like, share it around. Try to try to, I don't think people understand how, how they could, they could, we don't know who people are friends with on Facebook, for instance, they might be friends with people who uh, are thinking about retiring from strongman or powerlifting. And they might be looking for the next chapter in their life. Oh, they're, they're testing grip strength. I've got a great grip. I've been told that for 20 years. I used to snap pliers when, when I was a kid or something like that. I might have to try this out, you know? So like, you know, enough people complain about the barrier to entry for grip sport. Like you could really reduce that in a, in a way by spreading the word more. I I really hope people, and I'm not saying they got to do it for me for this show because I have an online business. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you are putting in a tremendous amount of work. You are making investments. I'm not going to ask you how much money you spent, but I mean, I can tell you got a really nice mic right there. You got good headphones. It looks like you're in a completely different room from the last time that you. Um, yes, this is the new studio, Jed. You did a new I'm show. Just... Or you, you did a show and, yeah. and rearranged stuff. You're putting time in. You invested in artwork. You got cool shit back there. You deserve recognition for what you're doing. One way that people can recognize and appreciate what you're doing is by spreading the word. And that's why at the beginning of every episode of This Week in Grip, when I did that, it was the first rule of grip sport is you tell everyone about grip sport because yeah. you know you a uh, 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 the person you as the host of this show can only do so much and there's magnitudes of impact that can be contributed to your show if people share stuff around they're in groups on facebook they they can they can take a screenshot Put it up on Instagram. Um, I don't. I don't even know what everybody does anymore because I don't even yeah. take part in Instagram that much anymore. I just don't have the time. But like, I know everybody doesn't have a, a email newsletter. I get that. We're not asking for that. Put it on Facebook. Put it in Grip Strength, the the Grip Strength group, or somewhere, or uh, Grip Monsters, or uh, Ardo's group. Yeah. You know, and. Um, and share it around. I think I think that's important. That's that's the one thing that I would ask if if people could do something along those lines and definitely like the video and and leave a comment cuz YouTube's algorithms, their behind the scenes formulas for video presentation are changing all the time. And I can guarantee you one thing that's not going to change is YouTube's going to want to see the engagement between the channel owner and the community that's watching them and the yeah. thumbs up and comments show that there is engagement. It's, it's a rock solid measurement. So I hope people do that off my soapbox now. No, you're good, Jed. Um, and yeah, and that's the thing, like I said, I plan on uh, interviewing some people that aren't necessarily grip only guys, but maybe they're, athletic endeavors include grip or they have to have grip strength for it. Like I said, so I, I don't, I don't put like a, a cap or a ceiling on, uh, you know, basically who, who will I interview? I leave it open to like, I, I'm not putting a ceiling on that. It could be anybody. And I'd, and you, you shouldn't, know, you shouldn't yeah, shoot. I mean, but shoot, shoot as big a name as you want in any certain way. As long as they're, as long as they relate to grip strength, they could possibly be on my radar. 
you know, mm-hmm. at some point in time. Um, but with that being said, I still fully intend to uh, continue the discussions and um, recaps for grip sport competitions and stuff like that. You mm-hmm. know, that, that, I'm always going to be covering the sport directly. I'm just saying if it's an interview, sometimes it, it might not be somebody we know that's competed. It might end up being, uh, I don't know. I might have, you know, some friend of mine that's a black belt on or something and talk about how they train grappling or how it's different or, yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying putting it in front of different audiences to also yeah. grow it. And then also, like you said, the ones that are already in the community and get it, not all your friends listen, not all your people are doing grip. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, Oh yeah, they, they know that guy does grip, but like, the hundred to 200 or even more people on your channels or whatever, they might not do it, but then they see it. I mean, at some point in time, I was a guy that was sitting around who had lifted weights over half my life. Like I said, done the fight stuff. Um, uh, still currently training the fight stuff, but had done sports prior to that. And I just came across, you know, some guy's channel that was talking about these things and yeah. there it was. And whether that was someone sharing it or whether that and was how my many, own. How many more Zach Mullins are, are out there? Like how I'm many not, Zach Mullins are out there I'm, doing something, and then now and within two years they could be doing another podcast. Well, that could be. I was going to say, but if we're talking about me, there's a when it comes to grip strength, there's probably a whole lot of me's out there. Now, if we get into like the bigger, but names there's from, not. That's there's well, not. I don't know. There's, I don't know. there's okay. not a lot of views because you like <laughs> dove in head first and you you didn't let adversity hold you back. You continue to train hard you made investments in your passion and there's not a ton of you but there's more out there and no for sure yeah i get you the, yeah. it ain't gonna hurt the sport of grip to have more zach mullins involved so there might yeah. be some dude that used to do a podcast on doing magic and all of his shit is in the in the basement and he has no reason to pull it out because he doesn't do magic anymore but if he finds out about grip yeah you know, and who knows? It could be someone that really has an impact. There's there's other like celebrity level people like Adam Glass talked about that really haven't had a big impact on the number of people competing in grip sport. Yeah. But you don't you don't know who could possibly be watching, you know? You, you yeah, just and, and that stuff might come back around, like you said. Maybe there's somebody that kind of saw it, never gave much thought to it, and then a couple years down the road they're in a different spot and now they're ready to do it. So mm-hmm. they circle back to it. Um Yep. But yeah, man, uh, Jed, like I said, I, I probably ran you a little longer. I don't than, care. Uh, I, I've had an absolute great time. Okay. Um, yeah. I, 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 we could go for another two hours. I don't okay. care. Well, the, the biggest part of it was just kind of covering those earlier competitions yeah. because, like I said, I, I wanted to kind of hammer home, you know, the fact that we could call it grip sport. Maybe it you know, wasn't even called grip sport back then. but. Nope there was grip strength competitions that focused around grip strength with these implements and these same lifts that we're still doing today, bending the steel, the grippers, all that stuff. That shit was happening back. You know, like you said, David Horn in the nineties to whatever over here, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. So this is not some like new sport that just popped up at the Arnold classic three years ago or something. This is uh this has been around and grip strength has been a part of, you know what I mean? A, a, a part Absolutely. of the culture and everything else for a while. So yep. I didn't want to just skim over, you know, 20 years, because like I said, we could do a whole episode on gesture competitions. So I wanted to knock out as much of the competitions as we could, 
but still get into some of these other little side topics and, and, mm-hmm. and dive off. But uh, like I said, this won't be the last time that uh, we discuss grip stuff or have you on the show for some, some type of discussion. So, cool. um, but yeah, but like I've I had said, a lot of fun. It's been great. I love reminiscing and um, a lot, a lot, you know, a lot of people that come up, they don't, they don't ask stuff like that. So I don't have a lot of opportunity to talk about the old days, you know? Yeah. So well, and that, that's what I kind of like is that's why, like, I, I see some of these videos and it's like, uh, d- depends on the venue, but um, you just see some of those old school videos of you guys lifting and just how loud the room gets or how excited someone is to make a lift. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to talk trash on lifters nowadays, but it's very similar to like, I mean, I, I saw Chuck Vogelpool break like the world squat record at 242 when I was like a, a teenager, I was like 18 or something. So yeah. like I saw Chuck break the squat record and it's like that level of energy. I just think yeah. that if you go to like most powerlifting meets today, even if the guys are doing like cool weights or they're moving big numbers, yeah, there's just a level of like passion and intensity that's kind of gone. Yeah. And when I, I look at those... Yeah. I always envisioned grip like I, I kind of wanted it to be like a WWF TV show. Not that it was fake, but it was yeah. like people were energetic and they gave a shit and they maybe even a little bit of shit talk, you know, maybe a lot of shit talk, you know, I would yeah. feed off that. And yeah. I, I, in, 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 uh, 04, I, I went to the Arnold and, um, I watched the WPO which was like a heavy metal concert mixed with WWF. There was announcers, entrance themes, fucking music so loud. You were deaf the next day, huge lifts. I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is what grip could be. And like, you know, I don't know, maybe like sometimes like when I'm at a contest, I'm so cerebral. Sometimes I'm so subdued and like nothing really comes out of my mouth until I get really pissed off or hit a number I've really been trying to train. So, um, like, even I'm guilty of not creating the atmosphere that I want to see. But, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. It, it happens. But, like, I, like we just had the heavy hands competition. So, I, I think there were some moments there when certain lifts went up that, you know, you could you could feel it. And, it, you know, you could kind of feel the, the intensity pick up. But, like I said, I just felt like, even though it was more, like, backyardish or old school, like some of these competitions you're talking about, you got – somebody laying on the ground with a stick trying to measure it because you haven't even thought about a knock bar. Oh, it's yeah. like, but the people are just screaming and going crazy. You're hitting big lifts. It's just, I just like seeing people passionate and really caring about what they do. Yeah. Like if, if you, if you're going to choose to do something, then I think you need to kind of do it all out or, or do it right. right. And uh, like I said, I, I don't know if it's a generational thing. I don't know if it's uh maybe just a, personality deal you know the right combination of different personalities but you know it yeah in my mind i'm not saying you have to scream every time somebody picks up a lift or something crazy but uh anytime there is that energy that comes out those are usually my favorite moments in a competition um and uh you don't want like I don't know someone pulling a big lift and then like you know the golf clap afterwards or something where they're just like <laughs> real quiet yeah you know whatever yeah. but uh, uh and, and one quick one I'll give on that is uh I, I hopefully I don't mess the name up because I, I talked to him you know a, a decent amount not all the time but uh is Yvonne Shook 
Mm -hmm. So most people will know him for the gripper closes, but then he's also a guy that really started to kind of up his other lifts and up his overall strength doing some arm wrestling type stuff. Well, now at the Arnold this year, um, he lifted in the 100 kg class against Eric Roussein. And uh, granted, what stole the show at the Arnold this year, it was probably Carl and Kim Johansson with the biggest crowd around the super heavyweights pulling five to six lifts over 500 pounds back to back going head to head. Of, of course, that that's like a given. The energy's all, you know through the roof. But my second favorite moment would have to be um, Yvonne Shook when he was lifting and dude hit, uh, I forget what weight it was, but it was on the Raptor handle. Mm-hmm. And like, this is a guy that like probably the year before didn't have a shot at even being in Eric's range. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, dude just lifted something that maybe Eric's not going to pick up. And like when he launched it up and like stuck the lockout and then came down, he like just like screamed and just went off like super amped up. And I think that's like what his profile picture is. It's like him screaming, you know, if you look at like on Instagram, like that's his profile picture. But like that moment was like, okay, aside from the big axle battle between the giants, him pulling that lift was my favorite moment just because that was where like the most raw emotion was. Yeah. Like this, like this, this dude is amped up that he just hit that number because like he's in contention for this lift or, you know, for this event now, like, so I, like I said, you don't have to scream after every lift. You don't have to be crazy. You don't, it doesn't have to be fake or manufactured. That's the big thing I would bring up. It has to be real. But those old videos I watch, it's real. It's not manufactured. It's not for likes. It's not for attention. It's just guys lifting, you know, and hitting goals. So I, I think those old videos are awesome. And yeah, like I said, I, I'm not trying to like uh, force an environment or create a fictitious environment. It's just, if it naturally happens, it's, it's cool when it happens. Yep. So, um, yep. but yeah, Jed, like I said, dude, I, uh, I, I won't hold you up much longer. Like I said, I feel bad already, but, no. uh, I, hopefully the people will be entertained enough and hopefully they get a decent portion of some history and at a minimum, they probably at least have some names to go Google or look up because we named, we named a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they might get tired of following the same 50 grip people on Instagram and realize like, well, let me go down this rabbit hole and watch this, this guy's videos. You know, I mean, yeah. might be the first time they heard about somebody that, you know, you looked up to or got you into the sport and they find videos of them. So uh, it, I don't know. I think that's just a good part of the show is just trying to introduce and like I said, maintain the integrity of the past and kind of keep that stuff in check, not forget kind of where everything came from. Yeah. But we're obviously trying to move forward as well. But if you totally forget where it all came from and disregard all the veterans that kind of paved the way, then the future is probably not going to look too good. So I I try to make that a big point to, uh, you know, since I did start the show, I want to kind of, I don't want to say the right people because I have a, I have a notebook full of names. Okay. Jed, I have, I have like 60 people written down and I'm going to get to people eventually. But if I interview people weekly, that's 52 people, you know, you don't want a show to burn out. You know, if, if I interview all the big names in the first two months and then you have nothing to watch afterwards and it burns out. That, that's not my goal either. So I'm, I'm spacing stuff out. I will probably never run out of guests the way that I'm going to do it. And uh, 
I'm just still trying to give the best people that I think uh, just the right platform, you know? Uh, and, and, and like I said, I, I hate, hate to bring it up again, but it was a good episode with Adam, um, episode six. But a lot, a lot of people were excited to hear from him because he was kind of off the radar for about a year. Yeah. So, you know, just, hey, this is somebody that the people need to hear from. Uh, let's give them a platform. Or for you, like, when's the last time you've been asked to do a, a long-form talk or even bring up some of those old competitions? I mean, like I said, they ask you different questions and stuff. So I just uh, – or like Luke had never been interviewed by somebody, hardly. So I I just think giving – the right respect to people and giving the right platform to people just helps. Yeah. So um, like I said, that, that, that's kind of the goal, but moving forward, man. Yeah. Like I said, I want to grow the sport too. And that's part of what this show's hopefully going to do, but uh, yeah, through interviews, recaps, coverage, all that stuff. But uh, yeah, Jed, um, like I said, I'll tell you the same thing I told Adam. Cause like I said, I put you guys in the same class pretty much because you two, your, your guys' channels were the only two I watched when I first started. Yep. And I, I didn't know about anything else. I didn't know what these things were. And, uh, you know, like I ordered my first inch dumbbell through you, um, stuff like that. Um, got the lift the blob book, started doing the programming, like lifted the fat man, like my third week into the program. So just little stuff like that. Um, so I, I, I like I said, I got to give thanks to you for wanting to do the show, helping me out in the beginning when I, was probably that annoying person asking questions and didn't know what was going on. Um, I probably wasn't too bad, but I'm sure I had a couple, probably did a couple stupid things. You were, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so thanks for that, man. And uh, like I said, hopefully we at least gave the listeners something to, uh, to kind of chew on for the next week or so until I can maybe line up the next person. So yep. cool. But yeah, man. So I'll Thank go you. ahead and uh, do you have anything else, Jed? Um, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't mention Aaron Corcoran. He's the one that, da- that built the okay. database for the, um, yeah. the grip sport, uh, top 100 page. So none yeah. of that shit would be up if it weren't for Aaron Corcoran. Um, okay. And I was going to say, it, I could be wrong here. This is just me. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm late to the sport, but is Aaron also partially kind of responsible for making the Saxon bar popular? Because I feel like the first I, time I, I really I think, remember hearing about a Saxon bar. Yeah, I think I think that's legit. The first one I remember seeing was um, David Horn had a plank lift that he did, and I I built one in my yard. Uh, I yeah. had like a big extra like s- scrap piece of wood. Um, yeah, I think there's something to that. There's yeah, something I, like I said, that. I'm 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 late to the game, so I, yeah. all all this stuff happened way before me. It's just stuff that I've read or picked up on. Yeah, that's but, a good but, point. Uh, but 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 I think there's something with him so lifting on a Saxon bar or something. But... Yeah, he's the one we need to blame. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mind the Saxon bar too bad, even though mine's been bad lately. Um, I I kind of like it, but yeah, um, it's it's been bad for me this year. But uh, I probably you know, forgot a hundred other people that I should have mentioned, but. You yeah. know, something popped in there about the database and it, Aaron, yeah. Aaron is still involved in that to a degree, even though he doesn't compete. So, okay. I really, I really, I really appreciate what he's done. Yeah. And, and and that's a name that, like I said, most people in the community already know, but if not, yeah. um, People should familiarize themselves with Aaron Corcoran and kind of just learn, like I said, the history of the sport or just see some of these other lifters because you might pick up something that you can apply to your training. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just watch random videos and study different guys' techniques. He's one of the uh, smartest guys that's ever done grip. 
he he works for a company that works for NASA. Okay. Yeah. He's he's super intelligent. So yep, yeah, shout out to Aaron Corcoran for all that stuff. Like I said, the, the database type stuff for everything Jed just said. Um but yeah, um man, I'll uh like I said, I'll stay in touch with you, Jed. And um if we he's get some nice. of these discussions going, um whether it be information regarding upcoming competitions, different discussions about rules or something. I don't know. I mean, there's a million different topics that could come up. We could do a an episode on the history of something, a history of a feat, and, and that could include you. Um, I want to start getting more panels on here for these. Like I said, I, I've only done recaps so far. I haven't ventured into the topic discussions, and it is hard to line up three and four different people's schedules sometimes. Yeah but I want to get it to where we start getting like an interesting mix of characters together. Yeah. Like not just me one-on-one, not me doing a re- recap. I'm talking about like four of us, but we're talking about a specific sure. like designated topic and yep. the personalities may interact and kind of mix it up and make it a little more fun. So uh, yeah, man, By like all I means, said, if, um, if you need me and I'm available, I'm always open to it. Keep it okay. fun. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Keep it fun. And yeah, we'll be able to tell. Okay. Yeah, Jed. Thanks, man. And uh, like I said, I'll uh, keep pumping these episodes out. Like I said, at least about weekly, we'll have something going on. So just thanks everybody for the support and stay tuned. And I'm going to bring up one last thing too. You just hit the Aaron Corcoran thing. Sorry. This will be legit. The last thing, this will be the last thing is in episode four, Luke Raymond said that if you want to uh, use the discount code, the Grip Show, just type in The Grip Show for armassassin.com or armassassinstrengthshop.com. It's a 5% discount code for, for that. So just go, if you're getting anything, any grip tools, any orders, shirts, hats, arm wrestling table, I don't know, whatever Luke offers, and we've covered that with him already, whatever devices he offers. Like I said, I understand 5% is not a whole lot, depending on the order, but at least get your shipping knocked off. Do something, you know, if, if you're already buying stuff anyway, at least get the shipping knocked out. At least, you know, chip away at it. But that would be a 5% discount code for Arm Assassin. And all you got to do is just type in the Grip Show when you make your purchase. I haven't mentioned it since the Luke episode. It is in the bio for my Instagram for the page, but it's not something I've put out on the show since. So if more eyes see this or more people tune in, uh, maybe they'll use that code. So that was it, Jed. Yeah, I just wanted to help Luke out with that one because he mentioned it on the show and I've put it on the page, but I haven't put it out through this method. So um, yeah, man, that's it, Jed. Thanks for stopping by and doing this and thanks for, you know, running a little longer than probably planned. But like I said, man, uh, both just passionate about grip and want to see the sport improve. So my pleasure. um, But yeah, man, I'll, uh, I'll catch you later, man. All right. See See ya. Yep.